The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawk Hill Media presents... Conspiracy Pill with PJ and Abby. And that's the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. It is what it is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 24 of Conspiracy Pilled, your favorite mostly hinged conspiracy podcast. I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me in studio today, for the second time ever, is Abby Libby. How are you doing, Abby? Good. I can't believe it's only the second time I know. <laughs> ever we've been in the same location. Yeah, but it's uh, it's been fun. What have we been up to? Every, everything. everything. We, okay, we visited a pyramid. That's true. And a, a portal to hell. Also true. And you know what? It made sense because on either side of the portal, you're kind of. Yeah. You're kind of because it was in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, which side of the portal is worse? I don't even know. The hell side or the, the, or Detroit, the Detroit side? side? Yeah. I don't know. And then we visited. We, we infiltrate. Infiltrated is a better word. I should, I should use words that make us sound cool. Yeah, we yeah. infiltrated the Church of Scientology in, in Detroit. And uh, they had no idea. My we- favorite part of <laughs> infiltrating the Church of Scientology in Detroit was, yeah, walk around the ground floor, see whatever you want to see. And then we go up to the <laughs> third floor. And when we get to the third floor, it's like there's a what was the what did the plaque on the wall say? It was basically like, if you join Scientology, you can never leave. You can never. It's like once once you sign contracts with us, we we own. You yeah, it was really forever. creepy. <laughs> It was really creepy. But if you guys want to, you know, read some books about Dianetics, they got like 9 billion copies. Yeah, that was that was something. And then we like drove by the Masonic Lodge real slow, real creepy, like twice. twice. <laughs> We've been doing what we call what I call because uh, <laughs> we're doing a little road trip across a, a part of America. We're calling it Esoteric America a trip. <laughs> a trip. <laughs> and then the Esoteric America trip a vlog will be available at some point at, some at the point end of the week in the future <laughs> in the future. Uh, but tonight we're not talking about Esoteric America trip. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the finders or what I like to call a high tech hippie trafficking cult. Um, by the way, there might be a little bit of echo. I'm, uh, we're we're testing out being so close to each other, but yeah, it's not too bad, right? I don't think it sounds too bad. I, I, it's not that okay. bad being close to you. It's just the smell. <laughs> it's the smell. It's the smell. Uh, it's like being near Bigfoot. It's like rotten uh, fruit. It's real bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I see somebody in the chat say, "Once you go satanic, you, you panic. panic." Oh, the chat's and good tonight. Listen, 
We are talking. Well, let's put this out on the table before we get started, because the satanic panic is definitely going to come up in this episode. When you think of the satanic panic, what's the very first thing you think of? Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And it's so stupid. Like, this is my big problem. with The satanic panic thing. It's like, well, in the 80s, they were pretty worried about those Satanists. Let's say, uh, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Let's ignore the son of Sam killings. Let's ignore. Yeah. The oh, finders. my God. Yeah. Let's ignore Montauk. Let's ignore every time where the satanic quote unquote panic was just a hundred percent right. But isn't that kind of how it goes? Is that hundred percent parents want to feel good about like we, we identify the bad guy, but they, but they can't identify a bad guy that actually scares them. So they have to identify a bad guy. That's like manageable, like dungeons and dragons. Like, Oh, yeah, this is quantifiable yeah, and manageable and I can keep my kid away from it. And, and everything is good in this situation now. And I'm not anti Dungeons and Dragons at all, but I do understand parents worrying about a slippery slope. Sure. Sure. Uh, even if they're wrong at times, I understand the concern. My friend Elias, shout out to Elias Ganage, wrote an incredibly good uh, thesis paper. It was very long on the satanic panic and Dungeons and Dragons. And if anyone is interested, I'll point, I'll point, I'll point you his way. This is my favorite real truth cactus. Actually <laughs> D and D encouraged people to adopt alternative identities. And as part of the slippery slope in LGBT LMNOP IDGAF, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's worse is actually uh sorry. We'll get back to the show. <laughs> is the, what was that game? Uh, Cyberpunk 2077, where it's like encourages you to fan to role play as a, as a, woman with a dong. See, I wouldn't know this because I was homeschooled. It came out like two years ago. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I reiterate. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be talking about the finders tonight. Um, shout out to Arvolt. This is a, this is something I've covered twice before. And someone uh, Arvolt in our telegram said, Hey, have you guys ever looked into the finders or talked about the finders? Like, ah, you see, I actually have some notes on this. So let's dust off the notes and I actually dive deeper. So if you guys have been following me for a while, if you watch me on totally plausible or on other shows I've done where I've talked about this subject, I'm going deeper on this tonight than I ever have before. I was really diving into the FBI vaults uh, and it's going to be an interesting one. So this is something that I think is so it's so weird that it's true. <laughs> like that's the insane part of it is like we hear about Epstein we know about the black book and like, you know, you, you, the mainstream narrative of Epstein is it was 16 and 17 year old girls. Yeah. Like, Oh, which is also not true. It's, it's, it was yeah. way worse than that. But again, like just something you can quantify like, Oh, you know, it was bad, but it wasn't like really, post pubescent. Really right? Like bad. it wasn't yeah. as nefarious as like, six-year-olds or something, right? Well, this is like going to just shit on all over that. So we have been uh, having fun. We met up with uh, people here in Lansing. We got to meet a lot of wonderful people. Yes. We've been drinking since noon. So we're going to make a little bit light of a very dark subject and try to try to uh, you yeah. know, entertain oh you guys as much as freak you out with this stuff. Quick shout out to our local subscribers. We have Hickstown Honey, uh, Lewis is Brown, and Atkinson B08. So thank you guys for coming over to conspiracypill.locals.com, downloading the Locals app on your Android and uh, iPhone, and following us and getting our bonus unhinged content. Uh, but let's get into it. So okay. there's a timeline here. So there's a lot of ways that people cover this. And generally what people will do is they'll say, here's what we knew in 1987. Then in 1993, we found out this. And in 2019, we found out this. I'm going to try to just go through we're in 2023. I'm going to try to go through as well as I can the timeline of what happened on each day in a week in 1987. Okay. Because it's crazy. 
So this all starts on Wednesday, February 4th, 1987. And on this day, there was an anonymous phone call that was placed to the Tallahassee police. And in this phone call, people were, uh, whoever it was reported, that there was six dirty and disheveled looking children who showed signs of neglect or abuse and were being supervised or chaperoned by two very well-dressed, suspicious looking men at a local park. Mm. And when the police decided to investigate, they found Michael Houlihan, age 28, and Doug Douglas Edward Ammerman, age 27. And again, these are things we found out later. They were giving different names. I think it was uh, Houlihan that gave them multiple names and multiple stories and things like that. So I'm trying to go with the established facts 30 years later. Okay. Because a lot of this we didn't find out until 2019. Yeah. This happened in 1987. We didn't find out until 2019. No, there's a there's a 628 page FBI file document dump in 2019. Yeah, the way that they just kind of dump these documents out to like relieve their consciences, but like while no one's paying attention anymore after it's well, like way blown over. To dump it during Epstein. Somebody seems to not mm, care about the, mm-hmm. this thing, right? So. <sighs> They were driving a 1979 blue Dodge van, and with them, they had six children ages two to seven. There was two girls and four boys, and they were, by all accounts, and again, I've read through the FBI documents and firsthand accounts and and stuff like that. They say that they were dirty and acting like wild animals. They weren't, most of them wearing underwear. They were covered with insect bites and hadn't bathed in days. And the men claimed these two well-dressed men. Actually, let's let's look at the while we're talking about this. Okay. Let's look at the pictures of these. So these are the six kids they found. Before we get into this, I'm just going to read you these names and tell me if this sound if anything suspicious about this. And I just like like throughout this, just tell me when there's a red flag. Okay. Is there any okay. red flags in any of this? <laughs> Mary Houlihan, Max Livingston, Honey B. Evans, John Paul Houlihan. Ben Franklin uh-huh. and BB. Yeah, these sound like totally real children's names. They're so real that Mary Houlihan was like, when they asked her what her name was, she's like, which one? That's a that's real, a that's a real, not quote. a normal response from a child. That is a real quote. And these are the two well-dressed men who were, this was, you know, it's like the next day's court, right? Like, so, you know, curly Q mustache looking guy in a suit and tie. And this other guy, you know, nice looking suit and tie with these dirty bug bitten, disgusting children. Wow. And the men claimed that they were transporting these kids to an, to establish a special school for gifted children in Mexico. Because gifted children, you expect to be very, very dirty and bug bitten and not wearing underwear. (laughs) And you take gifted children to a third world country. Well, yeah, that that is also a red flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a couple. Uh, And they and then they went on to explain why it was two men with kids that weren't theirs saying they were being weaned away from their mothers and that their parents were in Washington, D.C. This story. Oh, everything about the story changes a bunch, too. Okay, everything they say changes depending on when they tell it. Uh, but at the time, they said that they were being weaned away from their mothers and transported to, to Mexico for a special school and that their parents were totally cool with this and just hanging out in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that seems this all is like seems and really legit and normal. At no point in this does Michael Houlihan claim they're his kids until later when he claims two of them are his or he was a stepfather to one and the real dad of another. It's really again, everything they say just keeps changing and changing and changing. So we'll, we'll try to go with the established facts. So after they questioned these guys, oh, by the way, during the interview, I think it was Michael Houlihan pretended to faint to see if that would like 
let's see if the cops, let, like, let's do the possum thing and see if the cops just leave me alone. Like, oh, oh. And he just faints, right? Wait, 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 wait. Fake faints in front of the cops. We have to stop right here because I have been reliably informed that no child trafficking happens across the U.S.-Mexico border ever. Zero. Zero in any direction ever. <laughs> none none of the directions. Happened. Never happened. None of the directions. Uh, so they searched the van and the reports said the van smelled absolutely putrid. It was awful. It was disgusting. And it had this mattress in the back and it was apparent that they had been living, all eight of them, in this van for quite some time. It was also full of, and I want you to pay attention to the items because they'll make more sense later. It was full of maps, books, and letters, multiple fake IDs, 20 floppy disks, and a TRS-80 computer. And this is what a TRS-80 computer looks like. I don't know if you like ever had a computer like way back in the early 90s. Not that early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not they weren't common it was like pcs didn't become a thing till 95 really like you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i remember like 99 we had a a small simple one yeah it's like it's not that computers weren't available i want to make this clear because i know the comments are coming it's not the computers weren't available it's that they weren't common and it's very important to this story not Uh, not the type of thing you just randomly have in your everybody has one dirty van well, especially in the van. And that's going to be so important to the story. They also had a Chinese to English translation dictionary and a modem. And here's what's interesting, right? CERN didn't invent the World Wide Web until 1989. So to go www. I want to search a thing, whatever.com didn't exist till the 90s, till 89. And before that, they had Internet but it was called ARPANET. It was a government thing. So I want to make this clear again before the comments. I'm not saying that there was nobody outside of the government that had access to the internet because there's businesses and things like that. But generally speaking, civilians did not use the internet because it was ARPANET. It was a thing that government agencies used. Like, sure, in the early 80s, sheriff's offices communicate with each other across, you know, from one side of the country to the other and things like that. But this really was a government thing in the 80s. Like, the internet was not, and I know there's exceptions to this, but it's not a civilian, it's not a normal thing. You don't just get on, you don't just get an AOL disc, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just get on the internet and surf. So what we're saying is in this time period, if you see someone with that computer in their van and 20 floppy disks and a, mo- and and a modem stuff, to connect to the internet and a modem, Arpanet, yeah, then it's, you would, a normal person would conclude this is a government van. This is weird at very least. These people are trained in something that nobody knows what it is in 1987, okay. right? Like it's not a normal thing. It's at least odd, right? Mm-hmm. These two men were arrested, obviously, for child abuse, like right away, mm-hmm. right? And then they start interviewing the children because they're getting weird answers. The guy's pretending to faint, all this stuff, right? Okay. So the children said that the men were their teachers and that they lived in a house with them and other children and that they were eating a raw food diet and they were only fed as a reward for good behavior. What? <laughs> they're only fed as a reward oh for good behavior. Oh, my God. Nothing weird about this. Covered in bug bites again, like I said, and they seemed completely unaware of basic utilities. They didn't know what hot water was. They didn't know what electricity was. They didn't know what phones were. They didn't know what TVs were. They didn't know what a stapler was. They didn't even understand indoor plumbing because the kids were peeing on the floor, shitting on the floor, trying to go outside to pee. Wow. They did not know what any basic amenities were in 
in by 1980, uh, 1987. So these children said that back in DC, they were not allowed to enter the house and that they stayed outside in tents. Wow. So not only had they been living in a van for an, who knows how long, but even at home, they were in tents, unable to bathe, unable to use electricity, had no idea what any of these things were and only fed as a reward, uncooked raw food. Wow. Yeah. Nothing weird. No, no red flags, right? Uh, Mary was the oldest child. She was seven. And she says that they would receive that the, the adults would receive instructions from a man that they called the game caller or game leader. She also didn't know her last name. Uh, it was later established. She was Mary Houlihan, daughter of one of these guys, maybe. Uh, she, she, when she was asked, what's your name? Which one? She didn't know who she was. Uh, she wasn't sure that the guy was her dad. She said, maybe it was, it was weird, right? Like there's a whole, there's a lot of files. I'm not going to go into all of it, but like, again, if I was going to cover this, like fully again, 628 pages, 30 years of investigation, it'd be like a nine part series, like 30 hours long, but we're going to try to get to the basics of it. Just in the chat pointed out that those names are the characters from mash. Oh my gosh, it is. I love mash. The, like, is they're it, fake names. That's my point. They're, they're fake, fake names. names. Honeybee. Yeah. Yeah. BJ Honeycutt. Like sounds like Honeybee. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Who? Yeah. Major Houlihan. I, I, that's a, I didn't even think about that, but my dad has been recovering from surgery and all he does is watch mash. Right oh now, my so God. That's cool. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's see. They, she, so she Mary, did believe that one of the two men was her biological father, but it wasn't like a, Yeah, that's my dad. Like, I think he's my dad. He says he's my dad. I don't know. I'm seven. Oh, wow. Uh, she also did not know when where the men were taking them. And she said that the men were their teachers, but they went by many different names. And when asked what they taught her, she said how to play games, whatever that means. Yikes. And they would receive. And she also said that they would receive instructions from their leader. This guy that she called the game caller by the computer in their van. Again, computer communications like to a van night. Yeah. Like, this is not normal people stuff. Yeah, no, this is government stuff. This yeah. is the type of stuff that only the this government is like CIA level shit. Yeah. Either only the government or only people the government gave the tech to had or, access to or it. that the government trained. Ex exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, the police later identified the, this man, this game caller is Marion Petty. Now we're not going to go into Marion Petty till the end of the show, but just keep some of these things in the back of your mind. Got it. Cause I, I do want to go through the timeline. Uh, first essentially so they had all been staying at campgrounds and other locations around the country and they said that they've been sleeping in the van and a tent and mary became very evasive and uncomfortable when asked about sexual abuse she said that there was quote no bad touches by the adults to the children but she wanted to end this line of questioning right away so the little girl didn't want to talk about it no no no, no. how old was she seven she was the oldest how does a seven-year-old know that like this is an uncomfortable line of questioning that I want to shut down? Well, because the HRS or the Health and Rehabilitation Services established that at least two of the children were confirmed cases of sexual abuse, okay, including her and Max Livingston. Okay. So that was in the beginning, and we're going to see how this story changes by our government officials, completely irrefutable. Oh and I've God. read the FBI release documents and we'll bring this up again, but it is without a doubt from the HRS, from other people. And again, I'm not, I'm sorry. I know, I know this is a very dark story. So again, I apologize, but it's very important that these details are part of, of 
of talking about it. Yeah. And I meant to give kind of a warning at the beginning because I know that PTSD and things like that are very hard in, in these cases. So I'm not trying to make light of it in any way. I'm just saying this was it makes me mad. This is a story where, again, like we try to have fun on the show, but this story pisses me off and I've been talking about it for four years. Yeah. And we and could every gloss- time I get more into it, it pisses me off. And that's why I don't want to gloss over it. Yeah. We I mean, we could gloss over the 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 details yeah. and like leave you to your imaginations. But I. I don't think that that's the way we should be reporting. This story should piss you off. There's no yeah. way to talk about this and it, you not to be mad about this. Exactly. This it's the appropriate, like reaction. Yeah, it is the appropriate reaction. And then when, when you hide the details, who are you serving in that? Like that's You're protecting that's, the child rapist. Yeah. That's you are protecting yourself from the discomfort of the story. But you're to not gloss protecting over the children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. again, not trying to be callous about this thing. If the children, but it is, it, this is real. This if, happened. If the children can go through it, then we can talk about it. Yes, exactly. Uh, the other children in this uh, van said that they hadn't seen their mothers in over two months. So we know that they were at least living in this van for two months, according to the children. But what's really crazy is that we don't really know how many of the children talked because in the reports, it says that most of them were completely uncommunicative. They were un- not just uncommunicative. They couldn't speak like nonverbal, nonverbal. Okay. And it's unclear how many of the kids talked. The only one they really talk about is Mary. Okay. But probably Max was one of the older ones, another one of the abused ones. Mm-hmm. He probably talked, but the only one we know for sure what was said is Mary and every other kid for the most part. It depends on which report. One report says she's the only one that talked. Okay. I think based on what I've seen that she's the only one who talked originally. And then oh. maybe one or two of the others days or weeks later had things to say. Got it but they were nonverbal. Okay. Most of these kids. Uh, <clears throat> so then, then this story ends up getting media attention quickly. And this story goes very quickly. So it's going to sound like we're going to go over a course of four days, like for an hour, but it happens so damn quick. If you think about okay. it, that's why I want to keep the days in, in line. Yeah. So the AP report of the children been re, uh, that had been relocated to an unreleased location and were protected by armed guards due to several threats made against them. And when I say against them, I mean untraceable calls made to the police threatening the lives of the children. Of they would the get, children? Of the children. The police started instantly getting calls from people who would threaten the children's lives and hang up. Now, they got tons of other calls. They got people calling saying, I'll adopt. Once it made the news, I'll adopt these kids. Like, how can I help? Things like that. But the weird part is they were getting people who were calling in, threatening the lives of the children, hanging up, and they were untraceable calls. Okay. Weird stuff, right? So, so they moved them to a secure location. They actually, what they were doing is they're putting them in foster homes, keeping armed guards, they're not telling the press, not telling the other police officers, and constantly moving them. Right. Because they couldn't trust who was going to come after these kids. But they knew Jeez. it was something weird and probably government. Okay. And so they believed that the calls were coming from the government, depending on who you talk to. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, there's whistleblowers in this case, uh, that we'll talk about prominent ones, but yes. Got it. Uh, cause who else is doing untraceable, like threats right. to kids That's, when the, the, the details aren't known to the public. So, so basically from where we're sitting, it can be easy to lose sight of, who was the obvious culprit to the people involved yeah, and the yeah. people who are investigating this are like, yeah, this is obviously the government yeah, with yeah, the computer sure. and the untraceable calls and all that shit. It becomes more and more and more clear as we go okay. through this story. 
Uh, so that's all Wednesday. So Thursday, February 5th, the Tallahassee police contact the Washington, D.C. police. As we said, these kids said they came from Washington. Got it. To identify the children and to get more information about the two men. And the DCPD confirmed that they were aware of Michael and Douglas. And they also confirmed that children and men belong to an alternative lifestyle community known as the Finders. Okay. A confidential informant, a CI, named Robert Terrell which again, we didn't know this for 30 years, but I put it in my notes because this is what we know now. A confidential informant named Robert Terrell had previously told the police that the finders were a secretive cult, that they carried out brainwashing methods at a warehouse and an apartment complex in Washington, D.C., that he was given the address, and also that they ran various front companies out of these buildings. He also said that they tried to recruit him with promises of financial rewards and sexual gratification and that one member had invited him to, quote, explore Satanism with them. It's all coming from this guy later identified as Robert Terrell. And this guy is a weird piece of the puzzle. Because you think he's just like someone who's tried to be recruited into the cult and mm. like snitched on them. It gets way weirder than that. Okay. So the Tallahassee PD with with this information, they, like the, 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 when they contact the DCPD, like we've known about these guys for two years. We've been investigating them. We have the CI who's telling us these things about them. And they started giving this information to the Tallahassee police. So then the Tallahassee police contact the U.S. Customs Service, the FBI, and the DOJ. And they all get involved or open investigations that day. So the very next day after this all, after they found the kids, after they brought them in for questioning, the FBI, the DOJ, and the U.S. Customs Service all get involved. Okay. Now, the U.S. Customs Service specifically was involved because of their child pornography and protection unit. And this is interesting because I, I was going to bring this up later, but I'll just talk about this now. In 1993, there was a deeper investigation into what happened in 1987. Okay. And in the 628 pages that we found in 2019, there's this thing from 1993 that says, hey, you know, the U.S. Customs Service used to uh, investigate and raid and arrest child pornographers. And in 1990 and 1991, they were like booming. Like they were arresting hundreds of people, like shutting down child trafficking rings all over America. And then we just stopped funding them. Like what the fuck's up with that? Pornography. So you're saying one time yeah. in the history of ever, the government was like, we should maybe not spend money. Yeah. The one time they give a shit about spending money is when they're successfully shutting down child traffickers. That's in the um, early nineties. Weird. And there was never a response given to this 1993, uh, you know, inquiry Jeez. by two senators. They just shut the whole damn thing down. And the U.S. Customs Service, by the way, does not do this anymore. This was a thing they did in the 80s. It was super successful in the early 90s. And the government just, eh, let's not have a federal jurisdiction government agency look into child pornographers. So this whole thing just pisses me off, guys. Um, <clears throat> so... Again, the, Tallahass the, the Tallahassee PD contacts U.S. Customs Service, FBI, and DOJ, uh, and they assign a guy named, from the U.S. Customs Service, Detective Bradley. And he took all the information from Tallahassee PD and Washington and got a search warrant to investigate these two properties that the CI, Robert Terrell, had told them about that day. So within 24 hours of them finding these six disheveled kids in Tallahassee, there's a, a warrant from the U.S. Customs Service to raid two properties. And it was laid. So I, I want to point this out because we're going to talk about Robert Terrell, but it was later revealed that this CI, Robert Terrell, was a former IRS agent who was a cult member and was let go from the group around this time. So 
this is where it gets, this is, I mean, it's, the whole thing's confusing. So stay with me. Okay, okay. This is where it gets, it starts weird, right? But it gets weirder. So when you read the reports, the early reports, the audio is shaky. Oh my gosh. Is guys. it because you're pounding your desk? I'm, I always pound my desk. Okay. <laughs> I'll try not to. Okay. Rumble's being weird. Okay. Might be a rumble issue. It might be rumble. It's always when we do something important. Uh, it is every single time. I'll try not to pound my desk. Yeah. We are on YouTube. We'll stay on YouTube We're on Odyssey. tonight. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. Odyssey's another Rock good fin. one. Sorry for that, you guys. I'm, and again, I'm, I'm having a hard time paying attention to the chat because this story gets me freaking mad. No, I'm keeping an eye on I it. I appreciate you. So um, let me go back to this. This is, again, this is where it's weird, right? It later comes out that this confidential informant, Robert Terrell, was a former IRS agent mm-hmm. who was also a cult member with the Finders. Mm. And he was supposed, I guess he was let go from the group around early February, like around the time this thing happened. And it's unclear what that means. Was he let go because he told the the police too much? <laughs> was he let go? And then he was angry. So he starts telling the DCPD about like the weird shit this cult is doing. I don't know, but it's going to be important later. It's a, it's weird. Okay. The information is so weird on this. So again, 24 hours later, they're already raiding these apartment complexes and the DC police and the U S customs conduct simultaneous raids on the DC apartment and the warehouse. Okay. And most of the following information we're going to get comes from a court document of Raymond J Martinez of the U S Customs service who would go on to be a, the key whistleblower in this case. Okay. And depending on when there's times where he really wants to talk about this and times where he's afraid as shit to talk about this. Okay. It's a, it's a very interesting 30 years with this guy. Hmm. Um, so let's read this from his own court document notes on what he saw at the where at the apartments where, cause he okay. goes to the apartments and Bradley goes to the warehouse and he, so we're going to get his account on the apartment first and then his account on, on the warehouse second. So, Directly from his notes during the execution of the warrant and it gives the address. I was able to observe and access the entire building. I saw large quantities of children's clothing and toys. The clothing consisting of diapers and clothes in the toddler to preschool range. No children were found on the premises. Yeah. Okay. I saw your face there. This is a very specifically young children. This whole thing. Yeah. It's very messed up because it's not like the Epstein thing where we're told to believe it's 16 and 17 year olds. Yeah. It's not even a part of it. And this. I feel like there's been two stories in the news lately that are specifically about babies. Yeah, it's fucked up. So again, I'm sorry. I'm trying not. Yeah. It's, it, there's no way to talk about this case without it being pretty dark. I think one thing we don't like to think about how much evil humans are capable of. Like we like to think that there are some things that are just off limits that no one would ever do unless they were just completely crazy or just like the very smallest of minorities of criminals. And even, even criminals in prison will beat up pedophiles because they want to believe that they're, you know, you know what, you know what's weird to me about this is I, this case always makes me emotional and angry in a way that no other thing we talk about does. Yeah. And I think it's because even when we talk about Monarch or MK Ultra, yeah. there's always that veneer, that little chance that it's just fiction. 
that it's yeah. just somebody making it's, up. This is too well documented. It's just, way too well documented. This is yeah. so much not fake that there's no way to look at this and go, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Like this is you have black to, like, and white happened. You have to completely face it. Yeah. Unlike, and again, I'm not saying I don't believe at Project Monarch. I'm, we the do. stuff we talk about, we yeah. believe because we've read the documents, we've seen the CIA documents, we've, we've researched it, adrenochrome, all of it. But this one, more than anything I've ever read, is just clear. Unless we get into the Franklin scandal and cover up, which is another one which is related. That one's also extremely clear. Yeah. But this one, you just can't get around it, right? Yeah. So continuing on, he says, no children were found on the premises. There were several subjects on the premises. Only one was deemed to be connected with the finders. The rest were renting living spaces from the individual. He was identified as Stuart Miles Silverstone, and it gives his date of birth and passport. Hmm. It says he was low, because this one's unredacted 30 years later, but it was redacted the shit out of back in the day. Okay. Uh, it was located in a room equipped with several computers, printers, and numerous documents. Cursory examination of the documents revealed detailed instructions for obtaining children for unspecified purposes. Again, black and white. Detailed documents about how to obtain children for unspecified purposes. The instructions included the impregnation of female members of the community known as finders, purchasing children, trading, and kidnapping. There were telex messages using MCI account numbers between a computer terminal believed to be located in the same room. The others across the country and in foreign locations. So again, high-tech computer communications all over the country, all over the world, passports to go all over the world. One thing that'll come up later, I'll say it now, the passports were to places like North Korea, China, Vietnam, Russia, Places that a civilian could not possibly get a passport to during the Cold during War. During the Cold War. Yeah, I was going to say. Impossible. Yes. Uh, so again, government. Oh, did I mention Mary also knew how to count to 10 in Chinese? What the They fuck? were training her how to speak Chinese. She didn't so know they, who her dad was. She didn't know what a telephone was, but she was learning Chinese at seven. So they were, they were grooming her to give to a Chinese man. Oh, it becomes even more clear. Yes. So the instructions included impregnation. Of, I'll just read this again. Okay. Impregnation of female members of the community known as finders, purchasing children, trading and kidnapping. There were telex messages using MCI account numbers between a computer terminal believed to be located in the same room and others located located across the country and in foreign locations. One such telex specifically ordered the purchase of two children in Hong Kong to be arranged through a contact in the Chinese embassy there. Okay. Another telex expressed an interest in bank secrecy situations. Other documents identified interest in high-tech transfers to the United Kingdom, numerous properties under the control of the finders, a keen, in, uh, sorry, let me read that again. Numerous properties under the control of the finders, a keen interest in terrorism, explosives, and the evasion of law enforcement. Also found in the, quote, computer room was a detailed summary of the events surrounding the arrest and taking into custody of the two adults and six children in Tallahassee, Florida on the previous night. There was also a set of instructions. Okay, let's go back to that before I keep going. Okay. They had telex messages of the police reports within within 24 hours of it happening. Who ha who has access to police reports less than a day after they happen? They knew and had detailed emailed documents from the police right away. 
Okay. Like, how do they get those? If they're not, you know, connected governments, like in, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. 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 Weird God. stuff, right? Okay. Uh, there was also a set of instructions which appeared to be broadcast via a computer network, which addressed participants to move to quote, move the children and keep them moving through different jurisdictions and instructions on how to avoid police attention. This one's interesting because I don't think it's talking about the six kids. Okay. They already had the telex. Yeah. From knowing that these kids are in custody. Yeah. They show up to a warehouse that normally has other kids and adults and nobody's there, but there are instructions on how to move the kids, keep the children moving through different jurisdictions and how to avoid the police. So they had a whole plan. Like had, I'm this sure wasn't, they, yes. Yeah. So what we're saying is that this wasn't just one thing. This was a whole network that was very well equipped and prepared to be caught in one area and just move things along. Right. God. So it's a whole industry is what we're saying. And there's so many links here that prove that this industry was never shut down, probably links to Epstein almost certainly links to MK ultra stuff. It's so documented. One of the residents identified as a Chinese national. It keeps coming back to China in a couple of major ways. So we've already seen the Chinese English dictionary for the kids. Okay. Instructions on how to obtain children from the Chinese embassy. And one of the residents was a Chinese national. And due to the telex discovered referencing the Chinese embassy in Hong Kong, we fully identified for future reference, this man. Okay. And it gives his name, date of birth, all that stuff. And he was from the People's Republic of China. He gives his passport number. He entered into the U.S. on January 22nd, 1987. And so a week before these kids. Like he'd only just gotten there. Wow. A week before these kids were found. Uh, he, was, he was admitted until December 31st of that year. So he had a short time where he was allowed to be in America. Just happened to coincide with these kids who were learning Chinese. That's, uh, mm, yeah, I'm sure it's a total coincidence. Total coincidence. And he's in the U.S. as a graduate student. This is where it gets weird. He's in the U.S. as a graduate student in the anatomy department of Georgetown University. Now, if you guys remember, go back to our first episode of season one Mm -hmm. where we covered MKL. We talked about Georgetown, which is a confirmed, 100% confirmed MK Ultra testing site. Mm. We know for a fact that they used... Georgetown University gave them tons of money, had them do drug trials on students by giving them LSD and doing MKUltra experiments. So Georgetown, China, trafficked kids. It's so hard. And, and, and what the CIA, the CI, the confidential informant said, they're brainwashing people. Mm. And look, the, the, the Epstein style child trafficking stuff is very clear in this. But my question is, did MK Ultra just move outside of our borders? As so much of the evidence we've looked at suggests, Harley Pasternak, the the continuation of it in Canada, the continuation of it in the UK, the continuation of it in China. There's maybe more than one reason why they're moving these kids and doing these things. And mm. is it related? Like the MK Ultra link is a little bit less concrete. Yeah, but I don't think it's. I don't think it can be ignored in this. No. Right. So. I don't know. There, there'll probably be more stuff. Well, there will be more stuff on that. But I just, I wanted to point that out and be like, I think some people miss that this seems very related. Yeah. And um, I hope you have a good night, Hicktown, honey. I understand um, if 
yeah, she just said she just needs to finish tomorrow. It's it's a lot to I know. Take in I apologize. All I meant. I, I truly meant to say. There's something no way to the like beginning. prepare for it, and yeah. like we get. But it is we in get the title. It. It's okay. We get it. It's disturbing. I'm trying yeah. to get through this episode. This is the third time I've covered this, and I thought legitimately thought I could be a little bit more lighthearted. And I just don't think I can. We've talked about not being blackpilling on the show. I don't know what it is about this. I mean, I do know what it is about this. I've told you, but I don't know how to cover something that is important to cover and not just want to go full Alex Jones rage mode about it. Yeah. Like this. I don't know. It just makes me more mad than anything else we've ever covered. I think this is one of the reasons why people aren't. I thought I could be a little bit more lighthearted. I don't know if I can. Like some conspiracy theories, people don't want to except because they're just weird. Like aliens is just a weird thing. And because it's weird, it's easy to be funny. Yeah. And then there are some, it's like the only reason people don't accept that it's true is because it's just too hard. Yeah. And we have to be braver than that. Yeah. So I know this one's a kick in the teeth guys. I'm sorry. Well, well, we we always say when we do an episode, it's really depressing. We'll try to do something more fun in the future. Yeah, Uh, for sure. You guys asked for it. I've been asked for it by people. It's important to me. I think it's important to understand. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. So that's my last time to apologize, but it does piss me off. And if it pisses you off, it's doing the right Good. job. Good. It should. It should. Yeah. So this one just won't be as funny and as lighthearted as our normal episodes, but it is what it is. I thought I could do it. I can't. Yeah. Uh, so that's all. That's all Thursday, February 5th, right? Okay. Thursday. Friday, February 6th. So while Martinez, as I said, was raiding the apartments. Detective Bradley was in charge of the raid on the warehouse. So Martinez meets with him the following day, February 7th. And I I have to scroll down a little bit. This is from the same document I was just reading from. Okay. He says, I met with Detective Bradley at the warehouse on 4th Street and gives the address. I duly advised my acting group advisor that I was again and I was again granted unlimited access to the premise. I was able to observe numerous documents which described explicit sexual conduct between the members of the community known as finders. I also saw a large collection of the community of the photographs of unidentified persons. Okay. This is, this is where it gets really dark. So apologize guys. Some of the photographs were nudes believed to be of the members of the finders. There were numerous photos of children, some nude, at least one of which was a photo of a child quote on display and appearing to accent the child's genitals. I was only able to examine a very small amount of the photos at the time. However, one of the officers presented me with a photo album for my review. The album contained a series of photos of adults and children dressed in white sheets participating in a blood ritual. Okay, so it's not... It's more. It's It's so... Okay, this stuff doesn't happen. Okay. It's like when you get to this level of evil, it's you know exactly who you're serving at that point. It It's not that people do this and they're like, I just want to do this. They do this. I just want to make money and I don't have a lot of morals. service yeah, exactly. of Satan. It's, it's explicitly religious to this, Lucifer. This is why I brought up the satanic panic stuff. Yes. Because this is why it's been so damn easy for people to dismiss this black and white case of one of the worst things that's happened in our country at behest of our government, as I'll prove in a minute, 
that this was at the behest of our government because people were so bought in to this bullshit lie that all the satanic panic was about a couple of kids playing fantasy card games, fantasy I, board games. So, okay. I'm going to make one point real quick. I think somebody said, we're still looking at the computer. Oh my gosh. Yes, we are. I'm sorry. I'm so into the story guys that I totally okay. forgot to change. It's it. okay. But back to what I said, and this is, this is the part where I can get really mad at parents for is that you can't do this. You can't, Pick an easy villain and and feel good about that and pretend that all the evil in the world is Dungeons and Dragons. Right. When this exists. Like you have to be better than that. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Um, but I do think it was very convenient that there was a couple of people who were hyper hyper focused on the Dungeons and Dragons bullshit and they got to highlight those people. This is what yep. QAnon stuff does. Yeah. It highlights a couple of weirdos at the expense of a very real tra trafficking industry. Yep. And that's intentional. And it's the same damn playbook. Yeah. So again, photos of adults and children dressed in white sheets participating in a blood ritual. The ritual centered around the execution of at least two goats. The photos portrayed the execution, disembowelment, skinning, and dismemberment of the goats at the hands of the children. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. Right. This included the removal of the testes of the male goat, the discovery of a female goat's womb, and the baby goats inside the womb, and the presentation of a goat's head to one of the children. Further inspection of the premise disclosed numerous files relating to the activities of the organization in different parts of the world. Locations I observed are as follows. London, again, worldwide child trafficking network. London, Germany, the Bahamas, Japan, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Africa, Costa Rica, and Europe. There was also a file identified as Palestinian. Other files were identified by member name or project name. The projects appearing to be operated for commercial purposes under front names for the finders. There is one file entitled, quote, Pentagon Break-In. And... <laughs> Not a joke. And others which referred to members operating in foreign countries, not observed by me, but related to me by an MPD officer were intelligence files on private families not related to the finders. The process undertaken appears to have been a systematic response to local newspaper advertisements for babysitters, tutors, etc. A member of the finders respondent gathers much information as possible about the habits, identity, occupation, etc. of the family. The use of which this information was to be put is still unknown. There was also a large amount of data collected on various child care organizations. One of the weird things that comes up in the FBI document dump of 2019 yeah. is this supposedly crackpot conspiracy theory about this preschool that had underground tunnels in D.C. that was trafficking children. I've never looked into it, but when you realize that this stuff all took place three miles away from Pizzagate, from Comet, from ping Comet Ping Pong. And that in the files, they seem to find it necessary to include an underground tunnel network of a preschool. Makes you freaking wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes on to say that the warehousing contained a large library, two kitchens, a sauna, hot tub, and video room. The video room served to be a set served to be set up as an indoctrination center. So I'm guessing this is a room where they just put kids in front of a TV and indoctrinated them. Okay. Uh, also appears that the organization had capability to produce its own videos. So you can imagine what that's for. 
there were appeared to be training areas for children that appeared to have an altar set up in a residential area of the warehouse, and many jars of urine feces were located near this altar. I also mentioned that both premises were equipped with satellite dish antennas. In 1987, again, this is a supposedly, as we'll find out, a hippie commune of alternative lifestyle seekers who like to camp and play games. Mm-hmm. Quote, unquote, unquote. With TRS-80 computers, modems, satellite internet. In 1987, this is not something a normal person, let alone a hippie commune, has access to. Yeah. Or knows how to use. Like, how do you learn how to use a modem and a router and a, all? Right. Like, it wasn't this something. Brand new technology. Brand new technology. And really, until the 90s, was almost entirely government use. So what we're saying is that it's not that the internet was a good thing that was, you know, has been used for dark purposes, but that from the very beginning, it was used for dark purposes. From before it was even available to the public. Yeah. Yeah. That early. It's weird, right? Okay. So that is the most important parts of this document from Raymond Joe Martinez, the court document. The Virginia State Police conducted a raid also this day on a 90-acre farm in Madison, Wisconsin, or Madison, Virginia, which was owned by Marion Petty. There's not a lot on it, on this raid, almost nothing, really, that I could find. Okay. Other than that it happened. I don't know. There's a raid on Marion Petty, and there's no documentation. Not that I found. Okay. And I might have missed it. I, I was trying to skim through 628 Well, it doesn't help that documents. they're, like, actively scrubbing the internet. It, well, it, that doesn't help. And also these documents are weirdly redacted. To, some of them are just worthless documents. Got it. Even 30 years later. Got it. So the Washington Post decides to report on this day that there were about the nude pictures of the children. And they said that a U.S. Customs spokesman, David Hoover, told the Post, we're not saying it's pornographic, but it has all the earmarks. What I'm the sorry. hell does that mean? We're not saying it's pornographic, but it's pornographic. It has all the earmarks. What does that even mean? They're already trying to downplay it is my point. It, are they trying to downplay it? Or are they trying to say, I have a hard time calling this porn because like it's children. Good question. Good. Qu- I don't know. It, it, like later, that's the most charitable on, thing I, def- I can say. Yeah, that's yeah. the most charitable. I think you might be right just because it's not, it's before they start to like shut this whole damn thing. Got it. So you might be right. You might okay. be right on that. Um, also at this day, neighbors started reporting that children were often brought to the property property in vans and were usually crying. Also, the FBI reported that evidence of satanic rituals that was discovered. So pay attention to what is reported because they are all going to go back on their word in two seconds. Okay. All reports regarding the finders are, and at this point, all reports regarding the finders were set to be classified as secret. Police spokesman Scott Hunt said the finders might be accustomed to smuggling or selling children out of the country. Pretty obvious from what Raymond J. Martinez said. Also, the D.C. police believe possibilities include kidnapping of some type of for some type of international market of children. Again, pretty obvious based on the evidence. Okay, one question that's kind of here is that the way that we conceive of of child sex trafficking right now, and maybe this is just a way to remove ourselves from ourselves from it and from the reality of it is my idea of it is like, Oh, well they're like, they're Mexican kids that are coming across the border. They're, they're not, but we're, 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 this, this finder's cult is like American children being sold to it's other not, countries. It's not just American children where it's really fucked up is if you believe them, some of these kids were the children of the, of the cult. 
Yeah, like they were breeding them. women of the breeding these children to be to be slaves and, or and whatever. To MK be Ultra, clear, yeah, whatever it is. To be clear, it's exactly as evil as uh, if it's a if it's a third world country kid as if it's an American kid. But I think that that a way that we like remove ourselves from feeling the weight of it as we we tell ourselves, well, this, this isn't our children. These aren't the children we. Well, we've seen how people do it about the border. Yeah. They don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think maybe that's another reason it maybe hits home for some people. They're like, oh, this isn't just outside of my neighborhood. This is like people pretending to be babysitters, right? People running preschools in the mo- in the heart in of DC. America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So messed up. So that's all Friday, Sunday, February 8th. The Tallahassee police report an abandoned computer found by a student in a phone booth on the FSU campus close to the library. Okay. So this, again, was something that didn't come out until many years later. But, I mean, the reports are from then, but it wasn't released to the public till like 30 years later. So okay. 2019. So, again, abandoned computer found by a student in a phone booth. Student takes it home, boots it up, looks at it, found information about the investigation into the finders. And turned into the authorities. Okay. The police confirmed that it had clearly belonged to one of the members of the finder. So again, this goes back to what I was saying. They had the police reports less than 24 hours after they were arrested in D.C. at the finder's apartments. Now they find a computer in Tallahassee that also has these police reports. Weird stuff, right? Okay. How many? Right. Oh my gosh, my dog just busted in here. <laughs> Hi, Ripley. Talk to, the, talk to people. Hey, I have noticed, have you guys noticed how sometimes you're going through something and your animals are just like right there when you need them to be there? And sometimes I just look at my animals and I'm like, yeah, God told you to come over here and like make me feel better. Make me feel better. I feel so bad doing this episode. I know we talked about it beforehand, but it is so dark. I just want to, okay. I just want to pray real quick and then, and then we'll, we'll start in again. Um, Dear Lord, thank you for tonight and for PJ and for everybody who's watching. And this one's really, really hard. And you know that. And the things that we don't like to look at and the things that we pretend aren't true and the things that we don't have our eyes on all the time, you have your eyes on every second of every day. It's not news to you. Um, You're not finding out about this for the first time. You've known this since the moment it started happening. And that's, I can't imagine what it is like to be you and to be watching everything. And I'm sorry that we're like this. I'm sorry that as humans that we're like this, and I just pray you would help everyone here carry the weight of this and find some meaning from it as far as what the fuck we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's, it's so big, but also we have, we have to do something um, as Christians, as like reasonable people we have to you can't find out about something like this and then not so please show us what what direction to 
go, what to do. And then, um, yeah, please just help us carry it and, and trust you that in the end, you're going to put every single thing right and that you have the power um, to make every awful thing come untrue. In your name, amen. Amen. I realize that uh, this isn't the most like entertaining and professional podcast I've put up. I just, I, it's so weird, dude. I'm, I'll stop saying this, but like I listen to so many people talk about this documentaries. I've been like researching and deep diving all week, and I was like, I'm prepared for this. I've talked about this for four years now. And I just didn't realize that I would get into this episode and just be fucking pissed off and emotional about it. But I, I, now that I'm reading it again, I'm looking at myself going, how was I so insane to think I could talk about this thing and not feel sick about it? Yeah. And I think that's the proper response. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, we'll just get back to it. But it's yeah. just like when you like, like it's one thing to write all the notes. It's another thing to like face it and you're like, shit, like this is I'm reading these documents. It's like this is real shit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, so appreciate you guys. Sorry to put you through it, but I think it's I think it's important. We have to. I, we have to. It's we important. To. We can't just turn a blind eye to like the very real things that are happening. Uh, so they find this computer. They find this finder's information on this kid turns into the police. This didn't come out for 30 years till uh, 32 years afterwards. So the police confirmed it clearly belonged to a member of the finders and the detective DC detective Bill Cagney described finding a library of books uh, on, on this computer concerning mind control. Another okay. link to MK ultra MK ultra. Then, again, Sunday, four days after this whole thing begins, Detective Bradley of the D.C. Metro Police said that there was no evidence of satanic activity at any of the search areas. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, so four days in. After everything I just read you. He has everything in his hands. He was at the warehouse doing the raid. He was there. Uh, 100%. And he's been here this whole time. There's been no indication up till now that he is going to inhibit this investigation. None. Everybody's been on board. The DOJ, the FBI, the U.S. Customs. And then four DC, days PD, in. Tallahassee PD. No evidence of satanic. This is where it starts to get. Yeah. Shut down, essentially. Okay. So somebody got to him. 100%. 100%. The next day. The very next day, weekend goes by, media calms down for just two days. Washington Metro Police announced that they found no evidence of wrongdoing or satanic ritual activity. They announced it like publicly. Publicly. No evidence of wrongdoing. None. Not just like this ended, you know, yeah, this cult was bad, but like it doesn't go any further. None at all. None. Like they released the two. Zero evidence. The two guys too. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. So D.C. Metro Police Chief said that they could find no evidence to corroborate the allegations of their CI. And on the same day, Robert Trell decides to change the story. This guy who was, we found out later, was an IRS agent, was part of the cult, who was the original informant on the cult. The original informant, he changes the story. Yeah. Got it. And that's where I want you to read this article from the Orlando Sentinel. And we're just going to okay. read. There's a couple articles. This episode might be a little long, but we're, there's a couple articles I think are worth reading in entirety. And part of the reason we're going to read them is because we had to pay for them. Okay. <laughs> and so I can't just link it and tell you guys to read it later. Like yeah. you had to pay money to read these. So we're going to read them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is from the Orlando Sentinel. It's called Note Muddy's Tallahassee Kids Case um, from February 9th, 1987. Published at 5 a.m. So like not... Not a normal time you'd put out like news either. Like right. this is the time where you put out news you're trying to bury. Right. 
Okay. A statement by a member of the Finders Commune defending two members arrested in Tallahassee against child abuse charges and identifying the children found with them, quote, raises more questions than it answers, a police spokesman in Florida said Sunday night. The statement circulated by Robert Gardner, Gardner Terrell, a key member of the Washington-based Finders, suggests further areas for investigation, but will not win the release of the two men who were picked up Wednesday after being found in a city park with six hungry, hungry and dirty children, the can spokesman I, I, said. I'm sorry, I just realized this. Yeah. When we're hearing about a CI, we finally find out it's this guy, right? Yeah. After everything we found out about the cult, after everything the media has put, you can go back and read the Washington Post articles from 1987. I'm not going to read those in their entirety. After everything the media has said about this, why in the flying hell is the Orlando Sentinel saying, hey, we interviewed one of the dudes that we're investigating for trafficking kids, and he says it's cool. Like, yes. in the article, they tell you that he's part of the cult. He he says he's chill, so he's chill. What the fuck? Because, like, when, when we arrest someone... We just hear their story and go, nah, nothing to see here. Yeah, evidence... Oh, this thing makes me so fucking mad. In the written statement and in subsequent interviews, Terrell, who owns a Washington duplex apartment and warehouse used by the group. Okay, so the informant owns the, the warehouse? Owned, that's my point. It's, it's, fuck, it's weird. It's all bullshit. Fuck? Okay. He denied that the children were abused or neglected and said that at least one of the men with whom they were found had written permission from the mothers to care for their children. That doesn't make it okay to abuse, abuse them. I don't care. How, I don't care if the mother no said shit. beat the shit out of my kid. Like, what difference does that make? Yeah. Sorry. Like, I mean, baseline, just just the state of hunger and, and, if, and if dirtiness. None of, if none of the satanic stuff is true, if none of the trafficking stuff yeah. is true, we know for a damned fact that they abuse these children. Yeah. Ne Sexually yeah. and neglected yep. and hungry and... There's nothing. There's no way, no matter how straight-minded, unconspiratorial thinking you are, to think that didn't happen. It happened. It happened. Terrell's statement circulated last Saturday. Late Saturday. Late Saturday. Sorry, broke the silence that members of the Finders had maintained for three days while speculation about the nature and activities of the group mounted, and reports from former members and law enforcement authorities suggested seemingly unusual behavior and bizarre goings on. Quote, we are rational people, Terrell, a 50-year-old accountant, said in the first of two lengthy interviews over the weekend with the Washington Post, quote, not devil worshipers or child molesters. If you have to say you're not a devil worshiper or a child lady molester. lady doth protest too much. Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> quote, certainly anything we've done is based on the desire for the children to have the richest life they could have, he said. In his statement, he listed the children by name and listed names of women he said were their mothers. According to the statement, the women were in San Francisco working to raise money for a finder's project. I thought the parents were in D.C. Oh, the story just keeps on changing. Oh, boy. Just keep reading. You'll see. Quote, we are making attempts to find the parents, the Tallahassee police spokesman Scott Hunt said in an interview Sunday night. We are making all kinds of attempts. That's the other thing. If the, if, if, if the guys they picked up were taking care of the children on the request of their parents. They would have all their contact information. It would be really easy to find the also, parents. Also, if they were innocent, they wouldn't have to release them back to their parents. They could give them back to the men that they were put in charge of. Mm. Anyway, keep going. He said his department had identified several of the six children, four boys and two girls, ranging in age from two to seven, but, quote, only tentatively. 
He had only tentatively identified who they are. (sighs) Like whatever name they think they are today. Yeah. Yeah. He said, we've had hundreds of calls from people claiming to be the children's parents or relatives, (gasps) as well as from people seeking to adopt the children. In addition to naming those he said were the children's mothers, Terrell listed in his statement a number of people who he said had been connected with the children's movements since they left Washington in January. This is like one spot of light in the story is like how many people were reaching out saying, I will take care of these children. Yes, like, yeah. like, let me help these children. Yeah. yeah. There's there a huge, are good people out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There is a huge number of people identified in that memo, Hunt said from Tallahassee, and we'll be checking who they are and what role they play. Asserting that the Terrell statement, quote, provided us with investigatory leads, Hunt said that, quote, we'll do our best to follow them up. The investigation, which has prompted raids on two locations in the District of Columbia and five in Virginia. That's right. And you can't find information. What five in Virginia? That's seven fucking raids. But we only hear about the two, even in the 30 years later documents. Involves D.C. police as well as the FBI and Virginia State Police. The case has, quote, got bizarre implications already, Hunt said. No shit, Hunt. From the people who raided the warehouse in the apartment. Yeah. What it's going to lead to, we're not sure yet. In the interview Sunday night, Hunt said that based on a medical examination of the children, at least one, possibly more than one, showed evidence of sexual abuse. One source familiar... I'll, I'll take it for a minute. One okay. source familiar with the state's handling of the children disputed Hunt's account of possible sexual abuse. The source said a couple of children have possible indications of abuse, but the children have not been interviewed. That's not true. Physical examination of the children conducted on Thursday include tests of abuse for a variety of other health factors. Results are not expected until today or Tuesday. In an interview Saturday night, Terrell said that any possible sexual abuse to one of the girls, quote, might have happened after she was out of our control. He, <clears throat> He maintained this pisses me off. I'm sorry, guys. He maintained that the children were well cared for and had bathed the day before they were picked up. Also not true. However, he added, if you got six kids at the campground, you expect them to be. You can't expect them to be ready for Sunday school. In his memo in which he described himself as a certified private accountant, Terrell said that early last month, the six children, two men, including Douglas Ammerman, apparently one of the two arrested in Florida, left Washington for Kentucky. I'm so sorry, Abby. I didn't mean to make you cry okay. on this episode. It's it's darker than I even realized when we started. Uh, holding letters from the children's mothers gave them authorization to care for the children. The men went to somewhere in Kentucky to complete plans for the beginning of construction of a retirement community. While asserting in a telephone interview son- Saturday night that he had no connection with the finders, Weicker described them favorably. So they got the guy that lived this Kent- retirement community in Kentucky to say that they were headed there. Okay. Uh, the children were added were healthy, very well fed, and loved like we're in a family. No, they didn't. They couldn't talk. And the one girl didn't say that. You can read the documents. The yeah. memo named a man and woman from Pennsylvania who said it helped, who said helped child care on the trip to Berea, Kentucky. The one who identifies herself as True Marks. That's a real not name. Not a real name. None of these people are real names. They're a bunch of high tech hippie traffickers. That's yeah. why I called the title that. Like, the more you get into it, it's like, they're all all three of those things uh, set up to be reached a telephone number supplied by Terrell <laughs> supplied by the guy who they're investigating. He took very good care of the children and never hit or abused them in any way, except that time where they got out of control and maybe they were sexually abused when they got out of control. Yeah. 
That's fucked up. According to Charles memo, it was thought that the children would be enrolled in a Montessori school in Kentucky for the duration of the project. He said that the children's mothers are now in San Francisco. Anyway, so what a Montessori school you, you is it. a, a Montessori school is a private school. So yeah. just uh, trying to keep them out of the system, like out, out of the public eye. If it's true that why would they say they're going to Mexico? Yeah. Is this Kentucky guy a finder himself? Are they just doing what the memo said? Yeah. Moving them from district to district and avoiding police. Yeah. You just get in a different jurisdiction. We know they have places all over America, all over the world, Europe, China, North Vietnam, Bahamas. So all they got to just move them to a different jurisdiction every two months. Yeah. And then just try to bribe another guy. Yeah. That's all they got. If they have to bribe him, if he's not a a member. Yeah. yeah, it is timely considering the release of Sound of Freedom. That is why we're talking about it because yeah. it, there's been so much talk about the Sound of Freedom and it's been shit on from left, right, conspiracy theorists, non-conspiracy theorists. And I think it's important to realize this happens and it happens in big ways. And it's clear it's not a QAnon bullshit conspiracy theory. Um. So anyway, that... This is happening Monday. Also, right after this release of this article, immediately after five in the morning, Florida State Police say there's no evidence of sexual abuse, even though the article says there is, or misconduct, even though the I read the statements from the police that go into detail, and I'm not going to do it because you get it. Yeah. Despite early reports by the DH, DHR that, again, no evidence of sexual abuse or misconduct of any kind with the children. By Tuesday, lieutenant, uh, a lieutenant with the Virginia police con- contacted the Tallahassee police and said he had contact with members of the finders group and that Marion Petty told all the members to go into hiding. Lieutenant Hart tells them that Petty would probably go to Andrews Air Force Base and get a military plane to China. This is documented, what he said. What's, what's crazy to me with this is like, if, if China needs us to send, sell them children then they're not doing this to their own children. That's they're, they're just killing them. I guess they're so. Just, yeah. I mean, it's like, what are they doing to their own kids? They're, they're yeah. putting them in concentration camps. They're Uyghur Muslims. They're killing them at nine months. If that's what pass the one child policy, but let's have some human decency and only abduct kids from America. Like it's so messed up. That's why I, I seriously do question. Is this sex trafficking or is this MK ultra? Are we conducting, are we funding a Wuhan lab of, of MK ultra research over there? Because we have to keep it out of the jurisdiction of America. We know that this happens in Ukraine with weapons testing. We know this happens in China with virus testing and, and uh, what's the word? Um, uh, whatever Fauci talks about the gain of function gain of testing, function. right? So based on other episodes we've done in the past, it makes me wonder, like, I know we're looking at this as an Epstein thing and it probably is to some extent, but I truly wonder why China, why is China so implicated in this? Is it MKUltra stuff? And if it's MKUltra, that doesn't mean it's not the other thing. So if it's, because we know of projects like Monarch and an operation midnight climax. If yeah, the idea is with, with MKUltra that the justification that the government has for it is we have to learn how to mind control because our enemies are learning how to mind control. It's the same justification that's been used for like every horrific weapon to ever be invented. But 
but what we're, we're we're trying it on children i don't know man also again i want to point this out there was also records saying that they were buying kids from china so i don't know so buying kids from china and selling them back to china and are they doing the mk ultra research in china and bringing them back here to be assets i i i have so many questions all we wow. know is that this is what's documented okay uh okay. again <laughs> they dropped the anyway yeah yeah and i want to point this out marion petty who we're going to talk about in a minute in the document said that they believed he would probably go to andrews air force base and get on a military plane to china why are they thinking that this guy, supposedly a civilian cult leader, would be good on a military is getting on a plane military plane to, to the Chinese embassy, right? But that is the police saying this. Are we done with the Orlando Sentinel article? Yeah, yeah we're done with the Orlando yeah. Sentinel. Okay, we can Thursday, pull that down. You can close it. Yeah, we're done with it. So Thursday, February 12th, the FBI states that they have found no evidence of a federal crime or any violations a week and a day, eight days after these kids are found. FBI states no evidence of federal crime or any violation. And some of the media, at least at this time, was still disputing this because the end, the, the New York Times, for all how awful they are, still said, quote, the statement from the Metropolitan Police Department conflicts with the accounts from the police in Tallahassee, Florida, where the children were found unwashed and hungry. Officials there said that said that morning, at least two of the children had signs of sexual abuse. So they weren't letting it go just yet. OK, OK. But by the end of the week, all charges were dropped. The media announced it was just a huge mistake and a giant misunderstanding. And the finders were simply a 1960s-esque, quote, alternative lifestyle community with unusual education methods. And a 1993 U.S. Customs document states evident that the evidence after this point was not kept and it was either returned to its owners or destroyed. Why destroyed? So that no one could ever pull it up and look if at it If you again. raid my house and you go through my underwear drawer, I don't go, yeah, just, you know, burn them. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's weird, right? Like, why is it in the documents from the government? It's like, yeah, we didn't find the evidence, so we destroyed it. Right, yeah, like, they're innocent. But, so we had but to we burn the evidence. the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at April of this year, April 13th, 1987, Raymond J. Martinez uh, said this, and this is another document. Uh, let me see if I can put this on screen for you guys. Uh, share this tab. So let's see. Let me see if I can zoom up. So it says the U S C S a had contacted an MPD detective and arranged a meeting to review the documents seized pursuant to the two search warrants executed in January 1987. Uh, I think I found the wrong part. Okay, here we go. The USC went to meet with MPD detective who was not available, and the USCSA spoke to a third party, quote, a third party who was willing to discuss the case with me on a strictly off-the-record basis. This is Raymond J. Martinez, again, lifelong whistleblower on this whole thing. Okay. The memo reports, and the guy who was rated the, the you know, apartments. Mm-hmm. The memo reports that a U.S. Uh, the memo reports that the U.S. 
USCSSA was advised that all the passport data had been turned over to the State Department for their investigation. The State Department in turn advised MPD that all travel and use of the passports by the holders of the passports was within the law and no action would be taken. This includes travel to Moscow, North Korea, North Vietnam from the late 50s to the mid-1970s. The individuals further advised me of circumstances which indicated the investigation into the activity of the finders had become a CIA internal matter. The MPD report that has been classified secret was not available for investigation. Several weeks prior to that, the FBI Foreign Counterintelligence Division had directed MPD not to advise the FBI Washington Field Office of anything that had transpired and no further information will be available and no further action will be taken. So this guy was told (sighs) off the record that these people were allowed to travel to restricted areas during the Cold War. And the reason you can't ask questions is because this is now a CIA internal matter. Okay, so the FBI was working on it. Mm-hmm. And they were told, shut up. And then, yeah, and the CIA was like, this is... Who's not supposed to have jurisdiction in America. This is our problem. Was It, it was an internal matter. <laughs> in other words, this is our operation. Yes. Yes. And that again comes from, if you guys are curious, you can, I put the link in the notes to the FBI file vault. That's page 225. So if you want to read it. Uh, so again, as I said, in 1993, the Justi- Justice Department decides to investigate this. And we have one more article. Uh, would you mind reading this one about uh, the, it's the Washington Times. CIA tried to, okay. to cult, CIA tied to cult accused of abuse Justice probes links to the finders. So this okay. was, again, the 1993 uh, doc, uh, reinvestigation. They started seeing these memos. Raymond J. Martinez is out there saying, dude, I was told this is a CIA internal matter. Mm. We like took him six years to get the Justice Department to investigate. And spoiler alert, by the end, they found nothing wrong. But there are some interesting things they did find that are well documented. And we get the same result at the end. Yeah, we found all this criminal activity, but there's no problem here. I want to point out real quick that this is the Washington Times, not the Washington Post. And the Washington Times. Sorry if I said that. No, I don't don't think I'm correcting you. I just, they're easy to get mixed up, but the Washington Times is a, is a genuinely good publication that I, that I think highly of. Um, Not, not at all like the Washington Post. Not at all like the Washington Post. So here we go. A a Justice Department special task force is investigating whether the CIA used a cult called the Finders as a front organization to provide computer training to intelligence agents in the 1980s. The task force is also trying to determine whether the CIA, in an effort to hide any links with the Finders, impeded local law enforcement probes of the Washington area, area communal group for child abuse in 1987. The central question being asked is, did the CIA have an association with this group and did it try to shut down their state and local officials' investigations of child abuse for purposes of protecting one or more of its operations, said a federal, a senior federal law enforcement official familiar with the probe? The answer is obviously yes. Pretty obviously, yeah, for sure. A senior CIA official yesterday denied that the agency was involved with the finders or tried to impede police probes of the cult, even though they're literally the people who said stop. Quite literally. It's ours. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Most days we expect our share of unusual questions, but this one is clear off the wall, a CIA spokesman told the Washington Times. 
Any claim that we obstructed justice in this case is nuts, the spokesman said. In fact, he said, reading from a prepared statement, we cooperate. <laughs> I'm sorry. Reading from a prepared. I can't I say we're that. innocent without reading it off a piece of paper. This is why I like the Washington <sighs> Times. I love it. Like, this is how you write. This is how you journalism. Yeah, this is journalism. Reading from a prepared statement, quote, we cooperated with law enforcement authorities when questions arose in 1987. A Washington computer training company that employed Finer's members said it trained CIA personnel. But the firm's president denied it was owned by the Finders. He said he was unaware of any use of the training for covert activities. Okay. (coughs) Justice Department officials have declined to discuss what, if anything, their probe has uncovered. We are still in the review process, a senior official said, and you will be forever. Uh, the Finders, a group that has dwindled from about 40 members to fewer than a dozen. Oh, that makes me feel better. Hold. Okay. I'm just going to point this out. They're saying this one location that was raided used to have 40 people, and now they only have like 12. It's like, you That's, don't remember the damn documents from Raymond Martinez that proved they were all over the country and all over the world? And I'm supposed to sit here and believe... Oh, they abandoned the one place we know they're at. So that means they shut down. Yeah, but like fewer than a dozen is still not zero. It's still not zero. There's fewer than a dozen Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. I mean, not Epstein likes, but yeah, him himself doesn't make it not bad. Made front. Okay. Fewer than a dozen made front page news in February 1987 when two of its members were arrested in Tallahassee, Florida, Florida on charges of child abuse. The case received close media scrutiny, partly because of accusations that the group was involved in satanic rituals, but the charges were dismissed by a Florida judge. So the charges were dismissed by a judge. Mm-hmm. They weren't just dropped by the, by the police. Just everybody. It's everybody. It's everybody. Wow. At the same time. Including the DCPD who had been investigating for two years, all of a sudden get evidence that they're really doing what they thought and they drop it within a week. Two year investigation, they just drop within a week when they get evidence. How much money do you want to bet was a Soros judge? Oh, I'm sure it was. (laughs) We should look into it. The Justice Department formed the task force in mid-November after several members of Congress received copies of previously confidential U.S. Customs Service records suggesting a cover-up in the finder's case to protect the CIA. The Times has obtained these customs records and documents from both federal and local law enforcement agencies and the intelligence community that chronicled the investigation of the finders. One of the key documents that have prompted the Justice Department and members of Congress to question what happened six years ago is a report dated April 3rd, 1987. That's the one we read a minute ago. Okay, sorry. April 13th, 1987, that was written by a junior customs service agent who was on the original team that raided Finder's property in Washington and Virginia. The investigation into the activity of the Finders had become a CIA internal matter. The Metropolitan Police Department report has been classified secret and not available for review, the agent wrote in his memo to superiors. <laughs> yeah, internal this is the same thing I just read. Yeah, yeah. like... How how were they explicit, basically explicitly saying this is one of our operations, but it's not one of our operations? Well, what they're saying essentially is that Raymond J. Martinez, one of the most successful people in the U.S. Customs Service for shutting down child trafficking, is a bullshit liar. Mm. That's what it, it comes down to. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. I'll get the dog. <laughs> Ripley really needs, no, Ripley knows that we need need help tonight hi this dog is so good anyway 
The investigation into the activity of the finders. Okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Next paragraph. I was advised that the FBI had withdrawn from the investigation several weeks prior and that the FBI Foreign Counterintelligence Division had directed MPD not to advise the FBI Washington Field Office of anything that had transpired, the memo says. So, like, don't tell anybody about this. No further information will be available. No further action will be taken. Other custom service documents and records from the FBI and Metropolitan Police provide indications that the CIA had links to the finders or at least to some of the group's members. A Metropolitan Police document dated February 19th, 1987 quotes a CIA agent as confirming that his agency was sending its personnel to a, quote, a finders corp future enterprises for training in computer operations. So confirmation that the CIA was in fact training the finders corporation in computers, right? Does, does that say what I think it, it says? It says exactly the thing. It says your camera shut off while he, the oh. dog was in here. So I'll fix it while you're okay. talking. And yeah, it, this dog had, has a very excited tail. And a later custom service report says the CIA admitted to owning the finders organization as a front for a domestic computer training operation, but that it had gone bad. So they, they eventually admitted that they owned the organization as a front for a domestic computer training operation. But, it's like everything is exactly what you think and what you're saying. Yes. But, but they're like, yeah, but it just like, we didn't train. Bad. We didn't train the finders at this CIA front. It wasn't a CIA front, but it was a CIA front, and the finders were in it. And we banned it because the we didn't like them. Yeah, like we were just training them on the computers. We didn't know they were going to like abuse children. <laughs> but it goes it cuts against everything they said originally. They said it's not a CIA front, and we didn't train the finders. But it is a CIA front, and we did train them. And but it's okay because we didn't like them. Yeah, yeah. Like we we were only involved in the computer stuff, not the not the the. The satanic child we abuse. Yeah, we, we just stuff. train them on how to use computers to evade police we just, and, you know, yeah. do money transfers across countries and hide who they are. And we just happened to, like, recruit all of these people who who liked little kids and satanic rituals. But that was totally a coincidence that, like, they all were into that because we were just training them on computers. They're just computer geeks. Right. Uh-huh, this uh-huh, is my favorite okay. thing about this, right? Yeah. They're just computer geeks. They're just dirty hippies. Which one is it? Right. Like those are not things that go together. Like no. either they're computer geeks they're or they're hippies. Outside camping, alternative lifestyle people who don't like technology and want to live in tents. Also, they're just computer geeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's don't retarded. like technology. Yeah. Do like to. Yeah. A senior custom service official confirmed the content of the memos and said the agency, quote, only had a small role in the case. We were just like a little bit training them on computers yeah. for some reason. And why do you need a front to train people on computers? Why can't That's you just I train know. people on computers? That's what I want to know. It doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, no. What if the, oh, what no, if- the CIA is <laughs> learning how to use technology? Yeah. Like wh- their job. <laughs> Imagine if somebody in the 80s found out that the government was teaching Using people to use computers that they invented on ARPANET. <laughs> they invented. I yeah. mean, insane. Okay. A CIA official who asked not to be named 
confirmed that the agency had sent per- had sent personnel for computer training to a company called Future Enterprises Incorporated, but he cautioned, quote, I'm not sure if that was a finder's organization, as suggested by the <laughs> Metropolitan Police and Custom Service reports. Like, that was a totally different organization. Please look literally anywhere else. Yeah. Joseph... Marinich, the president of Future Enterprises Incorporated, said he once had a contract to train CIA employees in computers. Okay, which which direction is this going? Is the front training the CIA employees or are the CIA training the hippies? Front companies that they're yeah, but that's my point, is right? Like they can't the, pick a lane. Ultimately, ultimately it comes down to was Marion Petty a CIA agent, or was he just trained by the CIA, or did he just happen to have contacts the cia and access to military planes to china but was no way related the whole thing is retarded yeah they can't keep their story straight joseph manrick denied that he or his firm had any involvement with the finders or acted as a front for the company for the cult on behalf of the cia i'm shocked and appalled that our company's name exists in any law enforcement files not I'm shocked that we're associated with this awful, awful thing. No, I'm shocked that our company's name is in the files. I'm shocked that they found out we were part of the CIA. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Now that we train a bunch of pedos on how to use computers to avoid police. Yeah. Mr. Marinick said that when the news reports on the finders broke in February 1987, he discovered that his tax accountant, R. Gardner Terrell. There we go. Was a member of the group. The CI, the okay. IRS tax accountant. There so, it is. So, so. We've got future enterprises. The president of that, his tax accountant is Terrell. Yes. Okay. Got it. It was a total surprise to us. And Mr. (laughs) And Mr. Terrell's employment was ended. Mr. Marinick said. Mr. Terrell, who left the finders a few years ago and no longer lives in the Washington area, could not be reached. Of course not, because he's probably dead. Right. But a friend confirmed that he worked for Future Enterprises while a member of the Finders. Current and former members of the group said Mr. Trell's work for Future Enterprises was separate from the group's other activities. All right, I'm going to pause this. <laughs> not only is that the most retarded Hard R. Hard R. To, not only the stupidest conclusion to come to, but as you'll find out, the reason they called Marion Petty the game caller is because he would send these people out to different cities, to foreign countries, to purposefully infiltrate organizations. This is from his own mouth. He would, now that raises the question, was he CIA or did he infiltrate them, right? He would send people out to work at preschools, to become, you know, uh, sitters, to, be, to do this, to work in computer organizations, to work in the IRS, to work in all these corporations. He says that he sent his wife to work for the CIA for 21 years to spy on the CIA. So, Again, are they part of the CIA or were, or is the CIA embarrassed that this hippie commune infiltrated them, gained their knowledge and used it to traffic kids? So, so they're, and they're, the they're CIA f- covered for them. So they're just as bad, even if that's the truth. So the CIA was just innocently teaching this cult how to use computers and they had no idea that they were a bad cult, but also the cult infiltrated them. Right. And tricked them into teaching them to use computers. The whole thing is retarded. Obviously, the CIA knows of them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, are you guys, are you guys like that incompetent? Like, which which one's better? Do you want to go with incompetent or evil? CIA? Like, which one is it? Yeah. Either way, you should be completely defunded and disbanded. Let me put it this way. Yeah. Do you want to go with evil or incompetent and then covering up for evil? Yeah. 
Because those are the only two options. By the time you finish the article and realize what they're actually saying, the CIA is saying we're either evil, as we know they are, or we're incompetent and our incompetence is so embarrassing that we will cover for child traffickers. This is this one thing. Mm -hmm. This one instance is so big that on this alone, the CIA should have been disbanded. Was well, the MK Ultra as well? But yes, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, if this was the only, th- if this was the only thing the CIA had ever done wrong in their entire existence, they still deserve to be completely eradicated. Hey, oh, uh, I just don't want to knock your camera over. Take. I'm sorry. I love it's you, okay. The dog is very excited to be here. <laughs> she found out how to open my office door, guys. I apologize. Uh, yeah, this is this is a new development. <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> this show, Aww. I don't know. I love, I, I want to shout out to our wonderful viewers. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys this are whole really hanging disjointed in Disjointed show. Uh, it's fun. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Where? Uh, yeah. The, the, um, the article's done. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that was the, that was the Washington times 1993 investigation. Of course, by the end of this, they find nothing wrong. After everything you just read, after everything we've read that was available to them in 1993. No, it wasn't a CIA internal matter. Nothing's mm-hmm. wrong. Nothing to see here. Also, there's nothing ever answered about why the U.S. Customs Service decided to stop pursuing child traffickers. Yeah. When they were so successful When they were at incredibly it. successful. I, I think I included that in the notes. If not, I'll try to add it. But it is in the uh, first of four parts of the FBI files, if you guys want to look for it. So I think it's like page 60 or something. So in let's talk about Marion Petty. Okay. The, the game call. It's kind of where I want to end the episode. Is like the questions all come back to like, who is this guy leading this cult? And I think we already kind of teased like, was he able to infiltrate? Was he, uh, you know, trained? What were his connections? Mm-hmm. So first thing that's interesting to me, is he had a 90 acre estate in Culpeper, Virginia, and he was an Air Force Master Sergeant who retired in 1956. And when he retired, that's when he moved, you know, moved to, to Madison County, specifically Culpeper, as I mentioned, which okay. is interesting because this is also where Sidney Gottlieb, if you guys remember <laughs> the MK Ultra evil genius, retired to his own hippie commune. And I don't know if that's like nefarious or not, but I find it interesting that these two people who seem to very much be involved Mm -hmm. in abusing children, brainwashing people just end up in the same County at the same time. And what else is interesting about this guy is that depending on which article you read, they'll say, well, the, the, the founders started in the 1960s. It was this weird cult and it, the, nothing bad happened of them till the 1980s. But we also find out is that he retired in 56, but he started doing these weirdo hippie communes in the thirties while he was working for the government. Okay. So the fact that there's, they try to say there's no overlay. He just retired from the army and then became a hippie. Yeah. No. Almost 20 years of him doing similar stuff. Yeah. While being part of the government, ends up retiring same exact place doing the same exact thing as yeah. the leader of the whole MK ultra project. And he said that he wanted to seek out intelligent, well-educated people who could discuss the latest thoughts on philosophy and psychology and human development. And that he said he had no ties to the military after he left. But then he also says 
And I probably wouldn't tell you if I did. Mm. <laughs> Which is interesting. He also, at one point, admits that his wife worked for the CIA. He said, quote, I tried to, all of my life, get behind the scenes of the CIA. I sent my wife in as a spy to spy on the CIA for me. She was very happy about it. Happy to tell everyone everything she found out. She was in key places, you know, within the records, and she could find out things for me. And my son also worked for Air America, which is a proprietary of the CIA, there uh-huh. was some connection, but for me, not personally. But also, I just said that if I did, I wouldn't freaking tell you anyway. Air America, like, you know, what they use for the Iran Contra affair. Air America, where they smuggled drugs in planes across the American border. Yeah, yeah. Also linked to Jeffrey Epstein, which deserves its own episode, but they're, the, the links are clear between yeah. Air America and Epstein. And the CIA. And the CIA. Got it. Epstein was all almost, not almost, Epstein was absolutely certainly a CIA asset the same way that Marion Petty was. And I want to, I want to just do one more thing. There's this guy that decides in 1996, three years after they shut down the second investigation of the finders, he wants to find out who the hell is this guy? Who's this game caller who's sending these, these weirdo hippies out to different communities to do these, play these weird games and do all of these weird things. And he's kind of this elusive character. We know they raided his properties, five of them Mm. in 1987. And we never found out what the hell they found or what that had to do with anything. I'm just going to walk up to his door and knock and ask if I can talk to him. And this is a little long. But this is the last thing we're going to read. And then we'll, we'll, we'll go in and chat with you guys and we'll rumble and things like that. But I think it's worth it because I think instead of just speculating on mm. who this guy is, I just want to read the one and only time a journalist had the balls to walk up to this guy's front door and just say, let's talk. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's weird. So let's let's uh, let's read this. This is, comes from the Washington City paper from 1996. OK, you wanted and, me to read this one? Yeah, if you would, and we can take turns, but like I cut out like the first like third of this article where he's just like talking about himself, uh-huh. the, the journalist. So we'll Got just start it. like part of the way through. Okay. Though I'm only a few feet away, the man doesn't pay me any mind. When I knock on the door, he jumps to attention and opens it grace, great, graciously. I don't like how nice we're being to this guy already. This isn't Marion Petty. This is just one of the guys at the, the house that he knocks on. Okay. Yeah. Up close, he looks like a man who's been kicked around by life. An arm is missing from his heavy framed glasses. Oh, I thought it was like, no arm is. His okay. arm is missing from his heavy frame. This fat ass without yeah. an arm. <laughs> from his heavy framed glasses. He's got a gap to smile and his face looks like a bruised orange. I'm looking for Mr. Petty, I say. I don't know where Mr. Petty is, he replies. I'm just drinking my coffee and listening to the news. I ask him if he's a member of the Finders. I just joined the group, he says. I just came down here from Pennsylvania and they put me up here. Do you know if Mr. Petty's in town? You're wasting your time asking me where he is because I don't know. I just got here from Pennsylvania and needed a place to stay. You could go by the house to check to see if he's over there. He gives me the address of the finder's group house a few blocks from downtown. So this is what I think they were talking about with the five properties rated. I think he's got like a bunch of properties in Culpeper. Got it. Yeah. I nod my thanks as he returns to his morning coffee. Across Main Street, a block away, I stopped by the former medical arts building, an imposing brick edifice that once housed the office of local doctors and dentists. Now that the finders own it, the whole town wonders what goes on inside. In one of the windows is a glowing plastic Halloween skull. From the sidewalk, I can see a large map of the U.S., this time right side up on a wall inside the entrance. Peering 
In the front door, I'm startled by a seated person in a dark business suit, back turned to the entrance, reading a magazine. Is this a finder or maybe a security guard? On closer inspection, it turns out to be a mannequin topped by a ghoulish rubber mask and wig, a homemade dummy to entice curious passersby. I don't think that's the purpose of it, but okay. On the edge of Old Town, I pass the gargantuan Culpeper Baptist Church, which takes up an entire block from its immaculate front lawn sprouts, a marquee announcing where your money is. There is your life and love. I just want to stay, say real quick, I live like an hour and a half from Culpeper. It's, it's right in that. And I, before my office moved, I worked like half an hour from Culpeper. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is DC suburb commuterville right. area. Um, you can smell the swamp from also, there. I also just want to apologize. This guy likes to bloviate. So we're trying to get yeah, some good stuff, yeah. but he, he likes to talk about himself a lot. Yeah. Um, the, yes, the, the marquee says where your money is, there is your life and love. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah, at the top of the hill overlooking Culpepper on a quiet corner sits a spacious two story brick house. Its lawn has been allowed to grow semi wild and the backyard is enclosed by a tangle of bushes. But in the daylight, at least there's nothing even remotely creepy about this house as inconspicuous and tidy as any other in this neighborhood of grand homes and mansions. I climb up the well-kept porch chairs in a neat row and knock on the front door. There's no answer. So I look through the window in the vestibule, a small globe sits upside down on an oriental rug in the middle of a wooden floor. The glowing orb is plugged into a nearby wall socket. Against the bare wall is a couch covered by a white sheet. An upside-down bowler hat rests on top. Behind it leans an early 1900s photo of a formally dressed couple, woman standing, man sitting, apparently a wedding portrait. Like the theater front, the scene is less eerie than weirdly inviting. I knocked several more times. How many times okay, is he going to say Maybe I should, we should have jumped in later, but go ahead. Well, but how many times is he going to say, it doesn't look creepy? Guys, it doesn't look creepy. It's the, This place doesn't look creepy. Right. Like, say it one more time and I'll believe you. I'll, yeah, sk- yeah. I'll skim a little bit. Um, well, let's go here at the peak of the 80s. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. At their peak in the 80s, the finders boasted nearly three dozen people in their experimental community based in various domiciles. <laughs> domiciles around Washington and headquartered in the converted warehouse off Florida Avenue. They played in an elaborate game run by Petty, the game caller traveling the globe as freelance journalists, computer consultants, and information gatherers. They pooled their finances and shared property. Women assumed positions of power in the group whose goal was to form an extended family based on mutual trust rather than blood relations to learn and earn and raise free children. Okay. So what is he trying to say? This, this, this group was good because it empowered women. I, I, I don't know. What the fuck? fuck? Yeah. yeah. The group's roots stretch back to a a pre-World War II Washington, D.C. open house run by Petty when he was an army sergeant. There he claims to have become a full-time student of human nature. I rented two apartments about 55 years ago. He testified at the court proceedings. There were court proceedings that he testified at? Petty testified at? Apparently, yeah. Okay. And opened them up for anybody that wanted to come in. And the idea in my head was that they were going to teach me something about power, money, or sex. Again, while he's in the army. So, okay. I know I said Air Force earlier, but if you guys don't know the history, the army, Air Force, and then it became its own branch. So by the time he retired, it was yeah. Air Force, but it was army originally. Yeah, so, yeah. okay. So just to, to restate this, he, he, he becomes a full-time student of human nature. And he expects that these humans who come to his 
commune to teach him something about power, something about money or something about sex. Very cult leadery. Also, again, yeah, while still working for the U.S. government. Yeah, very weird. Experience was the only teacher Petty ever respected. He quit school after the ninth grade. I consider my whole life in education and that's that's all I do is work on my education. I dropped out of school because it was interfering with my education. Whatever. Petty told the court he's never had a real job. Not unless you call being a cult leader full-time employment. I haven't had any, but he was in the army. I know. It's kind of like full of shit about everything he says. I love all seriousness. He just like calls himself a cult leader. <laughs> and yet when pressed to declare himself a cult leader, he replies, it would be more appropriate if I said I was a cult cultural leader <laughs> if i'm a leader <laughs> i'm a cultural leader if i'm a leader <laughs> this guy's so full of himself what a douche i'm totally a cult leader if you mean cultural and not the leader part <laughs> in his testimony petty describes the finders as a modern day narrative or ship of fools a modern day ship of fools about 500 years ago it was very common for ships to take persons that are nowadays called neurotics or psychotics and keep them moving. They found it was very therapeutic. That's one of the ideas that I had here that people, if you kept them moving, they were better off. So Just he's keep them moving in a van, psychotics full of children. Yeah. They're better yeah, off this way. I'm sure that's good. Yeah. At least eight members are active in the group. According to Petty's testimony, he claims the lawsuit has only strengthened the loyalty of those remaining. Wow. Oh, so it was a, it was a lawsuit, not not any type of criminal court proceeding. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Insiders say the group was greatly diminished from its, from its glory days. It's just a shadow of what it was. Oh, so sad, says a former member. But it's by no means dormant. Finders operate various companies companies in the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Until last year, members ran a firm called Global Press out of several offices in the National Press Building. And despite its diminished size and power... Oh, wait. So they have a significant amount of influence on the media? Yes. That's Got what it. I'm saying. Yep. Got it. And despite its diminished size and power, the group continues to confound those trying to discover its inner workings. Wendell Minnick, author of Spies and Provocateurs, an encyclopedia of espionage and covert action, has spent two years researching the finders. Minnick has given up his project after running up $1,000 in phone bills and running into too many dead ends. The, quote, the finders would love you to think they're a CIA front, but I would say they're really nothing, says Minnick. You're going to hear a lot of bullshit about on the finders because they lie. These are dysfunctional adults, but they're all working their asses off. They're constantly working on some project. If you have a cult, the best way to control people is to keep them busy, to keep their minds occupied. If you have people standing around doing nothing, then they start thinking. So this guy is saying that the finders want you to think they're in the CIA. They are in the CIA, but they're not really. But again, like I just want to point this out. If they're not, then the CIA covered for them. So what's worse that the CIA knew that these people infiltrated parts of their organization and traffic kids and they went, that's embarrassing. Let's not let any <sighs> justice come to these people yeah. or that they funded them. But they openly admitted that they were a front. They just said they were a computer front. Right. Yeah, it's so messed up. So like the CIA said, yes, they're our front. And this Washington city paper. If you know the history of Air America, as we brought up. Yeah. Most of the CIA didn't know about them. Huh. Right? So elements in the CIA knew about them. Got it. So why would it be different here? Like if mm. elements in the CIA, MK Ultra, Air America, the finders, 
like it doesn't have to be official. That's like they're not their thing. <laughs> it's all covert uh, bullshit and smoke and mirrors, right? Yeah. Yeah. This this journalist is absolutely insufferable. I know. I apologize. The, the article's way too damn long. We'll try to get through his, yeah. some of it at least. Still, there's always just enough tantalizing information to link the finders to the spook underworld. Clues never fully substantiated and yet never disproven either. No shit. Uh, author Mark Riebling skirts the topic in his 1994 book, Wedge, The Secret War Between the FBI and CIA. Quote, just before Christmas 1993, both agencies were embarrassed by a Justice Department investigation into whether the CIA had improperly used the FBI to cover up its connections to a computer training cult called Finders, which had been accused but acquitted of child abuse. No, they weren't acquitted. The judge dismissed the charges. That is not the same. No, it is not the same. Apparently, the finders did work during the 80s for the government on a computer project, but only as a private firm on contract. Nevertheless, authorities say the case hasn't been closed by any means. The finders matter is still in an open investigation, says John Russell, spokesperson for the Justice Department. Mary Pranksters, Schiffer, Ship of Fools, or Federal Investigative Target, the finders were also a partnership according to former members turned plaintiffs who argue that they deserve their fair portion of the group's total worth. So it was, it, it was a lawsuit by members of the cult yes. that they hadn't gotten enough money yeah. from the group. Okay. Wow. This action is about settling up 20 years of throwing our assets into a partnership because we want to liquidate, liquidate that partnership and get our share out of it, which is something I think we have a right to do. Testified Robert, Robert Terrell. This guy's so weird. I don't know what to make of him. Who left the finders in 1991. Terrell said that the group deteriorated during the two decades he was a member. The vision of the group shifted and the nature of the group shifted from an idealistic utopian community to more of a military-like organization where following orders became more important than the vision. Interesting. In, 1990, in, in 1971, Terrell had a pretty hefty chunk of the American dream married with children. The 35 year old venture capitalist and CPA had a house in Chevy chase. He was making nearly 200,000 a year. That's actually not that good now, but in 1971, yeah, it was pretty good bucks. He owned a farm in West Virginia and half an oil company among other holdings. Wow. Less than a year later, Terrell had left his family and joined the finders left his family. Yeah. And joined the finders. Because you leave your family to join a computer cult. <laughs> they, they offered him, what was it? What did he say? Uh, to learn about sex, power, and explore Satanism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quote, I was looking for a more meaningful life, he recalls. I had already made a pretty big pile of money, and I couldn't go on just making more. There wasn't really much point in that. Petty and offered... Except a- like raising your children. Yeah. Pendy offered a more personalized life, more community oriented, reestablishing the kind of extended family that the human species evolved under. Of the plaintiffs, Terrell is the only one I was able to contact for, for an interview. He has relocated to Florida, his home state, where he runs a bakery and a vegetarian restaurant with a female ex finder. He agrees to meet me in Virginia, but asked me not to reveal the town where we're meeting. He doesn't want Petty and the finders to know where he's doing business. He's not fearful exactly, though he says there have been threats. He just doesn't want to be bothered. Pushing 60, wearing a blue button-down shirt and gray slacks, Terrell looks exactly like what he is. An entrepreneur. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing choice of words there. Yeah. An extremely short, serious man. 
An extremely short, serious man. Terrell is balding and his remaining hair is cut in a bowl shape, giving him a monk-like appearance. After just a few minutes of listening to Terrell, I begin to sense that he may be an ex-finder, but he's certainly no enemy of the group. He behaves more like a devoted, if disillusioned fan. Who goes back to how he acted in 1987. That's exactly right. Like he He can't decide whether he's loyal to them or not like he's he's just or kind is of he just mad on run- orders of petty fucking mm. with them. i don't know who's moving away from his home team but can't stop rooting for it yeah no it's it's very fan-like behavior where he's mm-hmm. like attacking one minute and then loyal the next minute moreover his complaint against his former mem- mentor apparently has less to do with money than with what he perceives as a personal betrayal Petty broke his word, says Terrell sadly. When I first met him, he said his only religion was friendship. Now he calls himself a skeptic. Terrell first met Petty at a finer's group house in Georgetown in 71. He was fascinated by Penny's ideas. Georgetown. Yep. Yeah. Petty's ideas, his energy, and his theory of game calling. It would be an exciting new way to live, unshackled by the suburban grind. Soon he was going by the name Tobe bestowed on him by petty in the early days the group resembled an extended family but the real attraction for terrell was self-realization quote petty used the term pressure cooker he says the idea was to explore your own person and discover your own true nature you can't do that just sitting at a desk or on a couch in a routine way you have to have some experiences so petty was good at structuring experiences from which you could learn. He called himself the game caller. And what that meant was that he'd call a game for you to do something where you'd gain experience. And okay. So he, he, Petty only respects experience. Like he doesn't like school. He doesn't like, so he wants to learn about power and he wants to learn about sex and he wants to learn these things by doing them. Right. So he's telling you what he is. Yes. And we should believe him. For Terrell, game playing ranged from working a temp accounting job in a downtown DC law firm to catching a flight to Japan on two hours notice to gather information on Japanese companies and report back to Petty. It was a subculture built on whimsy and intrigue undergirded by a sense of tribal affiliation. It sounds like he's just telling you to run wild errands for him, but okay. That's what every member that's ever talked about this has said, yes. Yeah. Early on, we were focused on trying to build a community that was based on old-fashioned principles of loyalty, he says. When my questions drift into the sexual dynamics of the finders, Terrell gets angry. If you want to write a scholarly piece about the group and the historical context of the Shakers and the Oneida communities, fine, but for a newspaper article, I don't want to get into that. That's sensationalism. Terrell blames the media for the 87 debacle that gave the finders their 15 minutes of fame. He blames the media, but he was the informant? I can't make sense of this damn guy. That's my point. Okay. The child abuse charges were dropped, but all many people remember about the incident was something about animal sacrifice. We were just slaughtering the goats for food. He scoffs. People take pictures of their kids doing all sorts of things. So he doesn't deny. No. Any of the the stuff. The kids were involved with the goat stuff. This is what's so interesting, right? If Raymond J. Martinez is a bullshit liar. Mm hmm. Why is Terrell saying, yeah, all those pictures you found. And he, by the way, I don't know if it's in this article. He admits that there was also nude pictures of the children and that he says, well, you know, parents take pictures of their kids in baths. They, he's never, and no one has ever denied that the pictures exist, that they were sacrificing goats. They were pulling out 
the 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 whatever the pregnant the, the goat was pregnant they pulled it out and and like killed the kids mm-hmm. is what you call a baby goat none of that's ever denied the naked pictures of kids the the goat sacrifice stuff wow. the white robes it's never been denied in by Terrell either yeah he just he just explains it away every time he gets a chance yeah. the aftermath of what became known as Goatgate divided the group. That changed everything, says Terrell. The mothers didn't like the way that Petty handled it, apparently. And they gave, and they left right after that. It changed the course of the finders. It was never the same. Do you think maybe Terrell got disgruntled? But for him, the cult was so normal that he didn't realize what the things he, the implications of the things he was saying. Like well, he didn't realize what the reaction to them would be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, 20 years in a cult, he's super brainwashed, right? Like right. we know it. And again, if this is MKUltra related, brainwashing is the goal of it anyway. So. Mm. I, I just, I don't know, man. The guy's weird. And mm. I just don't see how you can look at any of, like once you say it out loud, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we had the kids, like we present them goat heads and we had jars of urine and feces and naked pictures of children. But like, that's normal stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and his, well, I'm going to read further, but yeah. nevertheless, Terrell stayed with the finders until 1991, even though he says P- Petty became more authoritarian as more members left. What finally drove Terrell from the group to which he'd sacrificed most of his adult years was quite simple. He claims the game caller decided to make some new rules. Petty tried to change the game, says Terrell. When I came around, there was no doubt that if you put your money in the group, you could get it back. It was referred to as the invisible bank, but somewhere along Petty came up with the idea of what he called the last man's club implication being that once you put something in, you never got it back again. So Terrell left this cult, not because he had a problem with what they were doing to children. Nope. But because Petty wasn't he nice wanted his money. He wanted his money. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Petty was too bossy and money. Yep. Terrell says that in the years since he left the group, he's tried to negotiate with Petty. In fact, for a while, Petty sent him monthly checks, but Terrell says the money wasn't nearly enough compared with what he's owed. He scorns the payments as Petty's way of trying to lure him back to the finders. Petty wants to appear like he's ready to settle, but he has a philosophy of always drawing a bigger circle, and he will never let anyone out of that circle. He can never let go of anybody. Petty's paranoid. He sees dangers that don't exist. He insisted I and the others are trying to go against him, but that was never the idea. All we want is our fair share. Despite the lawsuit, despite his disappointment in Petty, Terrell doesn't regret his two-decade involvement with the finders. He doesn't regret it. Nope. Two decades. Yep. I think if you look at the history of utopian movements in America, the finders have a legitimate place because of the experimentation that went on. Because of the experimentation that went on. On children, which was very clear in the documents and everything that this guy even says about it. Yeah. I'm just going to read this quote really, really slowly. and I'm not going to get mad. I think if you look at the history of utopian movements in America, the finders have a legitimate place because of the experimentation that went on. It was a good experiment. A lot of people learn from it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It lasted for 20 years while I was there and I wouldn't call it a failure. He says, adding, I still think Petty is a man of great insight and the world would do well to listen to his ideas. Nevertheless, Terrell thinks the group is destined to fade away. Petty's age and the lack of women and children. Petty's age and the lack of women and children make its future prospects bleak. He says, Originally, the whole idea was to have something for the children of the group, says Terrell. So it's a joke that they're holding onto the properties for the children because there are none left. 
Something else bothers Terrell. I don't know why Petty is turning outward and is doing things like he's doing in Culpepper. When I was there, we, we always subscribed to the philosophy of keeping a very low profile, being invisible and doing our thing. Why he's choosing to prod or poke, I, I don't know why he's doing that. A cavalier gentleman emanating the southern traditional style, very large proportion male with barrel chest and lanky long legs, gray hair still flecked with sandy highlights, chopped short and looks like a home cut radiates a very casual but completely confident sense of self a sort of Gaddafi with without the ego makes jokes about switching roles yet always carries himself like an active duty officer this is just talking about petty yeah, yeah. there's there's a long description of Let's petty here i don't really thing. care yeah, yeah, yeah um so he says on a bright may day i decided to take one last crack at finding petty uh and he goes on and on and on i just want to see where he gets to that part I rap softly on the front door, and even before my second knock, suddenly he's right there opening the door as though he's been expecting me. So this is kind of the interesting. And, and the reason I wanted to read the part with Terrell is because he's such a weird character in mm-hmm. this. Yeah. But this is where I think get just I don't believe Terrell. No. I think he's so damn brainwashed. He's trying to he it's like he yeah, every time they bring up the insane. thing that is the very obvious thing, he just doesn't want to talk about it. It's like he saw what was happening. He saw the trafficking. He saw the abuse. He saw these things and he's more mad that he's not getting his money and that Tara and that petty isn't being the cult leader. He wanted him to be. And I think that's because Tobe or whatever the fudge his name is decide like he doesn't care. He just simply has no morals and he doesn't care what's happened to the kids. He's so self-involved. He's like, I thought petty was my friend. I thought we were going to do all these wonderful, cool utopian things. Yeah. Let's not talk about the children in 1987. Yeah, I want to talk about why I didn't get enough money. And yeah. I still love the cult and it's been wonderful. But like, can I get some more money and can we do the things the way that I want? <sighs> yeah, it's so self-involved and freaking weird. Yeah, like it's like there's such a disconnect that he does not understand the allegations or care to refute them. And I don't know what to make of that because mm. nothing in what he said had anything to do with the 1987 stuff other than when he wanted to skirt it and complain about himself. And that doesn't make me think that the 1987 stuff was an overblown satanic panic bullshit. It makes me think that this guy just doesn't care. Are you, is that like the, the th- like how you're. Yeah, no, he, he's just completely disconnected with whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever bad thing hap- happened. Yeah. And maybe he has his own trauma over it. I don't know, but yeah, by the yeah. way, he's describing Marion petty that's what he looks like so right but anyways curious yeah so yeah anyway uh do you see this part uh or do you want me to read it oh mr petty that part i'll start mm-hmm. reading you tell me when you catch up yeah, this is the old man yeah, are you find it yeah i'm here okay yes the old man told me you stopped by the theater he explains warmly i thought you might be coming by it's petty all right he's tall distinguished i don't care I'm going to skip. I've given up all hope. Yeah. This is Stan Burns, says Petty. He's going to take notes while while we talk. You know, we're going to interview you too. That's not threatening at all. Weird, right? Okay. So. Uh, Skip down. That's my grandparents. Yeah. I just hate that this guy bloviates so much. He's trying to write a novel instead of a. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I think he wants a Pulitzer out of this. Yeah, seriously. Okay, he says, in my family, there was only one book when I was growing up, the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Most of my relatives were oral people. They couldn't read or write. They'd sit around and talk and I'd listen. I'd spent my life listening to interesting people or walking, reading and thinking. That's what I do. And none of those are against the law. (laughs) 
Okay, no one suggested they were. I ask him about, about the history of the finders. Petty explains that his group is actually the second round of a long-term ongoing experiment he calls the Topsy-Turvy University in which everyone teaches him, the student. Mm-hmm. I've been opening up house to fools since the 30s. He says, I rented two apartments in Washington and had open house. Anyone that wanted to could come and stay with me. I'm still doing it. And by watching these fools, that's where I get most of my learning. I do just about anything to humor these bunch of fools that want to come along and be nice to me. And of course, I'm a big fool too. He describes the odd work of the finders nonchalantly. My goal is to know everything and say nothing. I run a private intelligence game. Right. This is why I want to read what he says. I run a private intelligence game and I send people out undercover to find out various things. I've been investigating the CIA before it was the CIA when it was the OSS. Also, it has been confirmed that in his hippie communes, he did house OSS agents. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The finders, he says, still have a strong membership made only more loyal by the lawsuit. He assures me now consisting of 10 above ground and 10 under who don't show their connections to the group. I ask him if he's moved back to his hometown because his roots are here. His he scoffs, claiming he feels no Robert E. Lee-like loyalty to his native soil. I've been called a Southern hypocrite, and I resent the word Southern. I may be a hypocrite, but I'm not a Southern hypocrite. I've been on the Union side in the Civil War. I'd have I'd have been on the Union side in the Civil War. I like Lincoln's ideas, even though I usually don't admire lawyers. Only a few others like Castro. He's a lawyer. You know, he admires Castro. This is so weird. By the way, I, I want to just go back to this thing he said, two things that he says. He says, yes, I did have house CIA agents when I was in the military and doing my hippie coming. So there is that early crossover or OSS agents. Mm-hmm. So we, like that's not a crazy connection to make that he had these connections. And then he says, yeah, we're actually not as weak as everybody keeps saying. We have 10 that you could find out about and 10 deep 10 under- underground. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Sipping. And his- I love Castro. <laughs> Sipping his steaming tea, Petty says that his life has been a long, pleasant dream. He says he simply agrees with people. He wishes for things and he gets them, as do the rest of the finders. He calls it the gift economy. As if on cue, Burns suddenly leaves the room and returns, holding a sealed jar of cigars. Petty offers me one, a $10 JB, he remarks while taking his own. I don't usually smoke cigars, but I figure it's good manners to partake. He lights mine and I take deep drags, cigarette style. Meanwhile, Petty puffs and his long face gets even thinner and a cloud of smoke envelops him. I don't care. I know, I know. Like, but, but, but the, like, the way that this journalist is simping for this guy. It's weird. It is weird. The only conflict I've ever had in my life are with these ungrateful wrenches that are suing me now, mutters Petty. They were dope fiends and emotionally disturbed people, and they got cured in my mental hospital and they left. Now they come back and they want to take the hospital. Let's check it down this. We live part time here in DC, part out in the country, and the rest traveling the globe, he says, after our turn for my self guided tour. You can stay here tonight if you want. I don't care. He adds graciously and apparently quite seriously. You can stay here the rest of your life. And those so-called plaintiffs are welcome to come back and stay here too. Wow. Uh, so weird. Uh, what about the new messages on the marquee, John 832? Did he put that up there as an allusion to the CIA as townspeople have told oh, the, me? Uh, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He says, I put that up there for you. He explains ominously, adding, I'll put up anything you want. What do you want me to put up? This guy's so weird. Also, like, I have to ask the question, like, 
he's the only man who ever got an interview with Marion Petty. Yeah. Is he part of this? Is he like all bullshit? Like he's simping for this guy so hard in a way that I don't understand how a journalist does. It's and it makes clear me that he's this, an admirer. Right. And it makes me wonder, like, is he, is this whole article part of this bullshit game of like disinformation and misinformation and distraction? Sounds like it. <coughs> um, how about vote for John Keats? I offer saying the first thing that pops into my head. Wow. Petty clearly enjoys my comment and attempt at us. You guys, <laughs> he liked my comment. He liked this my is comment. so weird. Before I ask if there's any real connection, Petty abruptly leaves the room. Okay, Stan, go ahead and ask him some questions. Like trying to ask him about the CIA again. Like, eh, I'm going to leave. How about just running through your life history? Murmurs Burns, starting at staring at me, his pen poised on his notebook. And he's like, now the interview got turned around. He's like, can we talk about the CIA? How about I have my associate interview you? Weird culty stuff. Yeah. Uh, by the time Petty returns, I've jump cut from my birth in Fairfax. So he lo- this guy loves talking about himself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so he tells this guy his whole life story. Anyway, can we throw you any leads? He asks. Be thinking of what leads c- you could throw us if you come across anything we'd be interested in. I can't think of a single lead that Petty might be interested in. He and Burns both lean forward, awaiting my response. No one says a word, and the silence is deafening. The cigar, which I've stupid which I've been stupidly smoking like a cigarette <laughs> is starting to make my head buzz. And I'm getting paranoid feeling hemmed in with the pair staring at me from both sides. I feel like bailing out and nearly announce that I want to go outside for a second, but the feeling slowly lifts as Petty starts talking again. Wow. What we're interested in is winners and losers in life. We don't fool with the middle class and we don't investigate them. For one thing, they're so predictable, but winners and losers I find interesting. That's our field of study. Wow. So he wants he wants the elites and he wants the dregs. He wants to find and keep. Oh, by the way, some of the some of the records uh, uh, call the group not just the finders, but the finders keepers, which I oh, find very interesting. Okay, wants to find and keep the dregs and sell them to the rich is what I think. Yeah, the conversation comes back to the lawsuit, and I bring up Toby Terrell. Toby used to be quite a character. Petty says warmly, he used to have a handlebar mustache and sing songs for the group and all kinds of this things. This is the secret reason why we made TJ change his <laughs> facial hair. Then he adds soberly, Toby, Toby had a great time with us until the woman told him that he was Toto and that I was the Wizard of Oz and we we're going to expose the wizard. <laughs> I tell him I had already interviewed Terrell and was impressed with his admiration for the former game caller despite their conflict. There's dead silence and both men hunch forward in their chairs. You saw Toby? Asked Petty, his face twisted with concern. Where is he? I say that I promised her I wouldn't tell anybody where we met except to say it was somewhere in Virginia. He's up around here, demands Petty. Where is he? <laughs> it's clear that Petty feels I owe him at least this much as he's, uh, after all, he's told after me. All yes, he's told you shit. I nearly blurred out the location. This is so terrible. Oh my God. This is the worst journalist. But I, instead, I stand firm, perturbed. Ooh. Petty leaves momentarily to go to the bathroom behind the kitchen. After he returns, our conversation rambles from the locals. I study those mountain, yeah, whatever, to Benjamin Franklin, to Thomas Jefferson. What? He also holds forth one of my favorite philosophers, ranging from Pythagoras to Leiden Rochelle, La, 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 La Rouge. Just when I start to really enjoy the history lesson, Petty gets up from his chair and suggests we go for a walk. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so stupid. This is so dumb. This is our private home movie theater, says Petty. I just don't understand this whole thing. Um, like the the reason we're talking about, like the article itself is is a conspiracy. It's like a whole fever dream in and of itself. It feels like an episode of Twin Peaks season three. <laughs> so true. 
and and it just ends like it just goes on. He walks around his house and he says, uh, let me see. The guy stumbles. Um, let me see. Where is it? The part I want to read the news. Burns is bumping around somewhere behind us. Then a large video screen flashes on CNN. We sit in seats near the front of the front for a while. A trio of spectators in an empty theater. The newscast drones on and Petty seems bored. He decides to take me to meet the old man, the down and out finder who watches the theater. The guy stumbles out of the basement where he apparently spends most of his time. Interview him, Petty tells me sternly, sounding more like a drill sergeant than a philosopher. He's going to interview you, he tells the man who laughs nervously. We look at each other uneasy as the man fumbles for a cigarette. I've got nothing to ask him. He's obviously got nothing to say, especially with Petty watching the charade. Then, as obediently as if we had guns to our heads, we proceed to do exactly what Petty has told us to do. (sighs) So when did you get to Culpepper? I asked woodenly. Petty listens briefly to our stilted, pointless interview. I'm just where I began at my search, bumming a cigarette from a man who tells me once again that he just arrived from Pennsylvania. The realization hits me that I don't know much more about the finders than when I started. No shit. Apparently satisfied, Petty nods to Burns and they head for the door without a word. The stroller takes his quiet leave, heading back out into the streets of Culpepper. (laughs) So the one time we get a chance to hear anything about Petty, like outside of like bullshit that we've heard from everybody else (laughs) is more bullshit. Okay. This article was written by Eddie Dean. Remind just, me to just never so read you know how he's ever read again. Awful he is. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> so so I, just, I don't know. It's it's weird. Like some of the things I found is that his wife did work for the CIA. That's been confirmed. But what the weirdest part is, I don't know anything about his son. But from the reports, I found that she actually worked for the CIA and was part of Air America for 21 years. Hmm. And I, I just I want to get your thoughts on this and then we'll we'll read uh, some stuff and head over and chat with the audience. But like at the end of this whole thing, like you've got this black and white. Documented evidence, yeah. you know, 30 years hidden of this very clear thing. And then all you get from journalists is that and one other argument, one other article I'm going to share with you. And that's why it's so important is you get this one journalist who finally you think has the balls to, to talk to this guy. Yeah. And, and it's he just nothing. simps for him for like a novel, a, a novella's length of bullshit. Yeah. He just writes in like about, about his cigars and his house and his like conversation. Like he talks about, what a cool conversation he right. had with this guy, but he doesn't actually learn anything so, about right. the finders. So this is 1996. Maybe there's some plausible deniability on the fact that this guy hasn't seen the 632 pages of FBI documents, but what's unexcusable is vice. And this is the last thing I want to bring up to you guys. This article from vice came out in 2019 after this treasure trove of FBI documents. And this is the headline. I'm not going to read the article. This cult from the 80s was patient zero for Epstein and Pizzagate conspiracies. The FBI just released new documents about the finders in which conspiracy theorists think that it was a CIA-linked child abuse cult. But were the finders just misunderstood? And the only thing that we seem to find out from the last article is that the finders had deep roots, not just in military intelligence, not just in, you know computer CIA things, but in the media. And then the one time we think we're going to get this expose on the cult leader, we get simpy bullshit. 
Then when it's finally in 2019, it released to you in a way. And, I, and again, if you're curious about this, go read the documents. Like, there's tons of people that have talked about this. There's so much information out there now. It's just, again, as we pointed out, black and white, what happened, how they're linked. It's not even a question what, like, how awful this all was. And the people, the first group, the first major media group, the, the only one that decides in 2019 to make a giant story about this, says, well, this is the same as thinking Epstein trafficked kids. I know he brings up Pizzagate, but what the f- what the fuck does this mean? Was patient zero for Epstein conspiracies? You yeah. Mean the thing that turned out to the, be entirely that's true? true. So the thing that's obviously true is patient zero for these other two things that are one, one of is which definitely is definitely true. And the other one is, I believe, 100 percent true. Yeah. But like, less concrete. At some point when they're saying these are all in the same camp and we're saying, yes, we agree. The, the, they're all in the same. The camp. only thing I gained from this article is that if you had questions on Pizzagate before, yeah, maybe you shouldn't because they're saying the finders and Epstein are the same as Pizzagate. And if that's yeah. all that Vice is saying, and they're not, they're simping for Marion Petty and the finders. It, but if that's what they're saying is all three of these things are equally plausible, then you can guarantee that Pizzagate is equally plausible Amazing. to the very plausible confirmed things that we know about Epstein and Marion Petty and all this shit. Incredible. So, Anyway, I hope that helped, guys. That was a kind of a weird and rough episode, but I appreciate you guys. Let's read some five-star reviews. After Let's that. do that. Let's feel better this about ourselves. This is why people like us. Yeah, that's why you guys like us. Uh, so, again, if you guys want to get your five-star reviews read on the show, send them in, and we'll, we'll, we'll check them out. So this first one calls uh, comes from Deb. Deb Debs, 1967. <laughs> says, Dogman. If Dogman began in Michigan in the late 1800s, what about Anubis? or werewolves being hunted down in England, et cetera. Mm. Just saying. Heard you on the confessionals, so came here to check you out. Well, thank you so Thanks. much, Deb Debs 1967. I love that. I, I love that conversation because, yes, we early on talked about Dogman, and the, the, the story of Dogman does start in Michigan. Mm-hmm. But I'm not convinced that it's not the same story as werewolves and Anubis. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about how, you know, in later episodes, how it goes back, I think, even to Nephilim stuff yeah. and to, to St... Whatever his name, Christopher, I think yeah, Saint, Christopher, Saint Christopher, the, the dog man. So, yeah, there's definitely some big links there, and we'll have to talk about that more in the future. We also have this one from Superphobic. It says, "Fun show, never super dark, but always fun." Oh no, we're never, we never are, and I feel like this episode got way darker than I like it too. So let's, uh, you know, I mean, it's necessary. I just feel like it was one thing. This case in particular just strikes a nerve with me in a yeah. way that nothing else we've ever talked about has, and we talk about. MK Ultra and Pizza. I think it's again, I said this, but I think it's just that it's so undeniable that you can't go. You can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't. You have to look at it. It's hard to even make jokes because it's it's not like, yeah, I think this is true, but I can see, you know, how people don't. Yeah, this is just like it's just true. It just is true. This is more of a true crime episode. I said this on Twitter the other day, but I'm like the only difference between true crime and conspiracy is that true crime is when the government investigates and the media reports on someone who lies, cheats, murders, steals, and rapes. Mm. And conspiracy is when people investigate and report on the government and the media when they lie, cheat, yep. murder, steal, and rape. Yep. It's the same. We're, so what I'm saying is we're a true crime show. Yep. <laughs> anyway, appreciate you guys. If you're watching us live, stick around, and uh, we will get to your super chats, your rumble rants, all that stuff, your memes and things like that. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, tomorrow, me and Abby are going on a road trip. So yeah. pray for us. 
All right. God bless everyone. Have a great night. Stick around if you're watching live. <laughs>